South Dakota, we're looking forward to exploring new roads and wide open spaces. When you're ready to travel, go great places. Learn more at TravelSouthDakota.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms where I give you a heads up about upcoming shows and which date and time they will be aired. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there, and you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Pelliser. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my True Believer stories that I've collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStoryTime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary, and you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marley with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing? I'm doing good. And you're gonna be super excited when you find out who my guest is. But then again, I'm gonna stop because I always get my emails from people saying, how's the farm doing? How are the chickens doing? How are the dogs? How are the birds? How are the, everybody's doing fine. You know, I'm here in South Florida, nice, hot, rainy. You know, we got a, this is of course hurricane season here for South, well, you know, for Florida especially, and, you know, what we get is, if not the actual hurricanes, we get depressions, which we got a couple of them off the uh, the coast. No danger. As a matter of fact, it looks like they might be heading up into the, um, like, the Outer Banks, maybe the Carolinas, and hopefully they won't develop. But as far as I'm concerned, what we get is a lot of rain, which is good, but normally rainy season here, like in the subtropics, you'll get maybe... 45 minutes of rain, an hour, 30 minutes, and then it stops and it dries up. So basically it's good, but you don't get, you know, inundated. Lately we've been getting a lot of rain, too much rain. So, but it's good. And, you know, and of course, me being the the, the, the nouveau farmer, micro farmer, it's like, oh, it's raining, great. But, and I was saying in my last show now that one of the things that you don't think about till you're actually there is that it's great for your trees, but it's great for everything like the weeds and the grass and that. And so my, my lawnmower, every time I go out there, I can't even mow the lawn. I got a riding mower. I can't go out there because I get rained out literally. So 
you know, as far as, uh, as, as that's concerned, I, you know, but yeah, it's, it's coming along. It's coming along, you know, and my chickens and everybody's fine. And, you know, one of these, my three puppies, one of these days, I'm going to bring one of my chicks in here and show them to you guys for those people that actually see it versus the podcast. But anyway, let's get to the good part. And this is the good part. The good part is the guest that I have here today. Now, this guest, I was um, lucky enough to appear on his show, on his podcast show, which is called Chasing the Truth. This gentleman's name is Sean Graham. And let me tell you a little bit about Sean in case you haven't heard about him. He is the host of the Chasing the Truth with Sean Graham podcast. And on it, he deals with the paranormal and all things unexplained. Uh, the show launched in May of 2018, and it has created most definitely a buzz through the paranormal community. And he's both an expert and a seeker of answers to many of the paranormal community's most asked questions. And you know that I always talk about being an expert in this field. You can up to a certain point, but definitely there's always, especially in the paranormal, there's just something that has to be left out because there's always new stuff that's coming up that's being discovered. But anyway, now prior to the launch of Chasing the Truth, he spent more than 15 years in the medical field and during his tenure in the healthcare sector, he suffered a leg amputation stemming from a very serious flesh-eating infection and he was on life support. Now, during this time on life support, he had a near-death experience at NDE and you know, we've spoken about this um, before on other shows, which personally, to me, in my opinion, NDEs are one of the most compelling proof of survival of our souls, our spirit, whatever you want to call it, after the death of our bodies. But we'll get to that. Now, while he was in a coma, he had encounters with God, souls, angels, demons, and other entities. Later on, he recovered completely. And of course, he now has a heightened sense of the world with full knowledge of God's existence and bond with all of God's creation. Um, following, of course, the, the NDE, he's been searching for fellow travelers that have, have experienced paranormal events. And he is a native of Southwest Virginia. And he's experienced a lot of paranormal encounters throughout his life, you know, of course, prior to having that near-death experience. And he, he brings that, that information, that background, and as, you know, as far as the flavor of his shows, which is an eclectic mix of the paranormal sprinkled with personal anecdotes and jokes. Uh, and I want to have you all welcome Sean to the show. How are you doing today, Sean? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Marlene. No, absolutely. It is my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. And, um, you know, I, I tell everybody, because every, my, my, my audience knows I usually, this is not, you know, I don't have any questions here. This is a conversation, and but we've conversed before. And I usually ask my guests, well, how did you get into the paranormal? But we've already had, we already have the answer to that. So I'm before we get into stories, because I know you have a gazillion, God, such compelling stories. You you mentioned something briefly, even though it's not about ghosts, but something about a Bigfoot sighting very close to where you live over on the Kentucky side, right? Yeah, there were, I think it's Whitesburg, Kentucky. is about 40 miles from me. Mm -hmm. And I don't personally know this guy. Never met him in, in my life. And I, for whatever reason, what stuck with me was the location and his first name, Sean. Oh, okay. But uh, he, uh, I don't know if you've heard of TikTok. Yes. He has a TikTok account, mm -hmm. and he's been posting, uh, you know, just 
uh, a splattering of Bigfoot sightings okay. along with you know new family stuff and all that other stuff. And then he had had the a couple of videos where he'd go out of his backyard and, and apparently his backyard, which you know is similar to the terrain I've got, right. is connected to a bigger hill or a mountain, mm-hmm. and he's pointing this camera up the hill and you hear these uh, uh, vocalizations of which either it's a really big man that's you know being shot to death or something like that but i'm like you know if if i know the terrain that's in whitesburg it's like there's nothing up there but yeah maybe a coal mine remnants or strip job or whatever up through there and you hear these echoes and for whatever reason, I can't remember the TikTok's name for whatever the actual thing, but okay. that that was my first one of the year that I have heard that's close to me. Uh, okay. Prior to that, I usually hear about one or good one or two good ones. The last one I heard was actually on the other side of Kentucky about a year before. <clears throat> excuse me, year before was in Jenkins, Kentucky. Uh, okay. That was spotted outside of Jenkins, Kentucky, near a, a well-traveled road was a si- actual visual sighting but you know that was just from hearsay from i think either a facebook post or something like that or a radio or whatever and i'm like wow and i've heard of bigfoot in the area uh okay. real close to me over the years that i've been here right and it, it, it's just one of those things and we've you know right before the show you and i were talking about right some stuff and i've got right, and I've that, got I was going to mention you're, you've lived in this area for a long period of time your family has in other words right yeah i used to live here up until about three years ago before i had to retire i, I lived in tennessee for about 15 years in northeast okay. tennessee so it's about the same geographic area except mm-hmm. you know border sites but uh yeah this this has been my home for a while yeah okay so just moving back in. Well, no, what I'm saying is that sometimes when you know the history of a place, you know, your family, you're more familiar, like with either the folklore in some cases or stories that have been told and uh, or what's normal. Even when you live in an area, you kind of after a while, you know what the animals in that area sound like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are... Uh... There was one thing that I I got introduced to way back when, when I was in my mid-teens was the cry of a bobcat. And I, uh, and I I was telling my dad about it one day, and I said, I heard a baby crying up in this holler. And, he, and she and my dad was like, where would you hear this at? And I was like, right up there. And I, you know, we're in the front yard. Yeah, I was pointing up a... a into this little valley and he said that was probably a bobcat and i said that sounded exactly like a baby crying so i know there's nothing up there other than maybe a a a logging road or something like that yeah but yeah there's all kinds of strange stuff that goes on in uh, in the woods that you never really think about i've got all kinds of little stories i found in the woods and my dad's told me about and even a friend of mine that was in the national guard i didn't tell you about this one but uh, he told me about a uh, unknown, unmapped base that's close by here. Really? Yeah, it's on the federal land. I'm butt up against Jefferson National Forest. Actually, my mom's house, their property line, uh, where her fence line is, mm-hmm. on the other side is Jefferson National Forest line. She could literally walk out of her, her garage and be on National Forest land within a matter of steps. Wow. And uh, uh, But... 
uh, isn't the actual base that I personally seen. I, I, I was working at a hospital and this gentleman I was working with was a night shift RN and he was telling me we're passing them back and forth UFO stories. Okay. And I was just telling him what I had seen one night uh, on on National Forest Land. He said, yeah, I believe that. I said, I'm going to tell you something that you won't believe. And I was like, okay. And he told me where this place was. And, I, and he said, you know where this area is? And I said, yeah, I used to try to date this gal that lived right uh, down below from where you were telling me this was. And he was telling me about uh, he got an order. Uh, he was part of the motor pool. He was, I think, uh, well, I guess I can. Mo, he, was, he was over the motor pool for the region in okay. Lee County, Virginia. And uh, anything in the region, he would, you know, usually he didn't get any calls or anything unless there's broken down equipment. Or during the uh, winter months when uh, the ABC agencies would be stuck up in the mountains and couldn't get out because of snow, he would right. get the orders to go get this. And he got this faxed order and gave him coordinates to go to. And he he actually picked up the phone and called his boss and said, I know where this coordinates are. There's nothing out there. He's, and he got ordered to go pick up this uh, flatbed truck, I think, hmm. that had broken down. And he took along a sergeant with him. I think it was a sergeant. Well, it took another fellow that was underneath him in this uh, tow truck, this big, huge tow truck. And he said, well, they got uh, out to where this place was. And I actually went down this road uh, months later and went out to the coordinates. And he, he almost got there. And his uh, buddy that was in with him said, hey, there's nothing out here but Forestry Road. That's it. Logging right. Room. You say, well, we've got to go ex to exact coordinates. And then if there's nothing there, we'll just say we went to the coordinates. There's nothing but trees and go back. Right. But he said he got almost got to the coordinates and there, the break in the tree line and then a clear field. And then he sees these uh, guarded shack with a, a big, huge guarded fence with catena wire and all this other stuff. And I was like... Buddy, I've been all over these mountains through here. There ain't nothing like that out there. And he said, "Yeah, try to go out there, but don't go past the uh, the break in the forest line, and you won't. They shouldn't know that you're there." And I was like, "Okay." And he, apparently, he got in and uh, showed his orders off to him, and they told uh, the guard at the shack told him to uh, that an escort will come to the gate. You follow escort in and follow escort out. If you veer from the directions of the, the escort vehicle, you will be arrested on the spot. Cool. Got out there. To, he said he went, picked up the truck, and uh, attached it to the, the tow truck and dragged it out. And he said, that was the only time I've ever been out there at that time. This, this has been 15 years ago, 16. Right. Well, actually, a lot more than that. Probably about 20 years ago when I heard this story. So, uh, some months later, I was married at the time, and I was uh, telling my ex-wife that, hey, I have a day off, and I, you know, I told her about the story, and I said, I'm going to go find out if this is actually true. So, I went out you know, in this little car that we had at the time, and I found the place, and he told me what to look for on the road, and I found the spot. And I drove for about three and a half miles, and I was like, ah, this guy's crazy. And then all I saw, and I saw the break in the, in the forest line, which at, down that trail, 
was nothing but pine trees for miles on both sides, you know, winding in and out, tall pine trees, and you see between them and stuff. There wasn't a whole lot of overgrowth unless you got into in next to a creek or something. And then um, I went and saw the breaking of trees, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I parked on the side of the road where, you know, something could get past me, and I walked up to the tree line. I didn't get past the tree line, and I saw the uh, the actual base, the catena wire and the guard shack and the whole nine yards. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Went back, talked to him. I said, buddy, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed you unless I seen you. Seen it right, myself. right. In other words, unless you knew specifically where to look, yeah, you're I've not actually see this. I actually told this story maybe two or three months ago, and I actually looked on Google Maps. Yeah. And I knew where it what should have been, but there's nothing there on Google Maps except for forest. That's about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So. Yeah. And I yeah, bet you there's more than if you think that's the only one that's camouflaged like that, like it exists but doesn't really exist. I bet there's a well, bunch of them. Well, one of the one of the caveats he, uh, the gentleman told me was, you wouldn't be you would be surprised what they've got hidden in the general area here in Southwest Virginia that's federally owned that we don't mm-hmm. nothing about. Yes. So. Yes. I'm a, I, I, oh. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know what happens sometimes? Time goes by, people move away, and uh, they they forget people that once maybe knew about it. They die or move away, and that's it. And nobody either remembers or is around to say, "Hey, you know what? There was this, or we heard this." And and then of course, unless you get a source like this guy, that happened to have gone there because he had to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was actually to the point. What really sold me to get me out there was uh, yeah, his story about he was questioning his own uh, yeah. direct line of command, saying, I, I know the area, and there's nothing out there. And he got ordered to go there anyway. I'm like, okay. So I, I had to find out myself, and I'm like, wow. Now, there's other things that I can allude to or tell you about my father had seen he used to live on top of a ridge near here. Okay. He told me about some stuff. Uh, that kind of dovetails into it to say it says there's a lot of stuff out here that I've never seen, but he told me personally mm-hmm. one day uh, before he passed away, he told me that he used to do this thing called ginseng hunting. You right, know what ginseng yes, is? yes. And he, he knew a lot of patches throughout the mountains. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, going to try to find new patches and stuff. And he was in the middle of nowhere okay. uh, kind of kind of scenario. Same scenario as well, I told you about. There's nothing but woods all over the place. And he was one of these mountain men that would go out trekking just because he could okay. find out what was there. And he said he got out in the middle of uh, the this forest line. And he said the only person that, that he thought he'd he'd run into was either a hunter or a, a federal agent or something like that uh, for forestry service. Right. And uh, he came on another field and he said, uh, I came on this flat field that was clear cut of all trees. But in the middle of this field was these huge, he called them a uh, tubes, but not exactly. He said it was rebarred concrete tubes that were big enough to fit a truck into 
And he said there were dozens upon dozens of these things laid out in the middle of this forest. And he said there was no road to it. So, yeah. He said the only thing he could think of that could have got him there was a heavy lift helicopter right. dropping right there. And I was like, where is this? And he said, Sean, I'd have to take you to it to show you where it is. Right. And uh, where he lived was at, at that time was absolutely fantastic. Uh, he lived right on the crest of the ridge. It overlooked a valley that you could do. It was on Virginia in the Appalachian uh-huh. Mountains. And to look, you could see into Tennessee. Wow. You know, that was like 30 or 40 miles away. And you can, uh, there is uh, some smokestacks from a paper mill in Kingsport, Tennessee. Okay. That you could see. And it was just like little bitty puffs of white smoke off in the distance on a clear day and he get up there the first time i actually visited him up there when he first moved up there um i got on my car turned the car off and you get out and all you can hear is nothing but nature and wind and you're like where's all the buzzing from you know all the background noises that we're all used to the air conditioning dogs barking and stuff like that uh it was a stark contrast of what i was used to being up there and he told me a bunch of UFO stuff that happened up there. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. To him, but uh, okay. <laughs> now well, we got off on UFOs instead of. Uh, well, that's uh, it. Let me tell you, but, but the, you think about it, that is the perfect setting. You know, there's nothing else that when you see it, you can you could say, well, it was this, it was a plane, it was a satellite, it was a, because out there, like you say, it kind of narrows the field when you see something along the lines of a UFO. Okay, I know that definitely is this because, or if you hear certain certain noises. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I've seen a few UFOs. One of the best UFOs I've ever seen was actually uh, where I used to live in Kingsport, Tennessee. Uh, uh, one night uh, with my girlfriend at that time. We came home. It was actually the first Avengers movie that popped out okay. in theaters. However long ago that was, 2007, I guess, something like something that. Like that yeah. And um, we just got home, and I was living in this little house and had this huge oak tree that was maybe 75 years old, big, big tree. And for whatever reason, I looked up, and this big bright light was above it. And I was like, what the heck is that? And then... And I sort of looked down and then looked back up. And then all of a sudden I seen this red strobing light, which is a weird strobing light. And then two other lights behind it. And it it covered the sky. 
at the time. And I'm like, what in the world was that? And I got a good long look at it, and I pointed my iPhone up at it and tried to take a film of it. And you can hear, I actually still have the video of it, but you can't. You can't see what I was looking at. You can hear me and my girlfriend at the time discussing what it looked like. Okay. In the last few frames of the video, you can see uh, three three or four dots, and I I have to go back and look. Three or four dots in the last couple of frames. Now, I was okay. pointing this thing at it, my iPhone, but it never really showed anything until you got to those last three or four frames. Literally, three or four frames is all I caught of the thing. And it was completely silent. And after uh, about, I, I had my eyes on that thing for a good five minutes. Okay. And I actually reported it to New Fork, the NUFORC, the National UFO Reporting Center. Okay. .com. I still have the link for the actual uh, UFO report, but I did not see and send them the actual file for it. For whatever reason, I can't remember. But after I lost sight of it, this huge helicopter comes out <laughs> out of nowhere. And I'm used to hearing helicopters where I work in the healthcare field with uh, right. the medevacs and stuff that would right, come out. Right, yeah. And the chopper wash and the blade sounds was a lot heavier than the, the medical helicopters. And it comes out of uh, probably... A parallel, it, it came over top of my house and then cut a left and went behind my house and kept going straight toward a paper mill in the direction of a paper mill I was telling you about earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, this chopper comes out of the behind me going toward in the same direction as this UFO, which I liken to that TR3P, 3B that everybody talks about in the UFO community. Right. And, and when I see videos and, and photographs of stuff, I look at, at it and compare it to my memory of what uh, I saw. And I'm like, well, that, yeah, no. I've only seen one or two good uh, photographs. I've not seen a video of one yet okay. that I compares to what I've and seen. You could say, yeah, that's, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. And there's only one or two that I can remember that really sticks out. But the, what was the big thing was three, three white lights on three corners and then there was this red crazy looking strobe light it was not like a strobe on top of an ambulance or anything like that it was just the way it strobed and i'm like holy cow which uh that one was one of those things that really got me going and you know what and the fact that that helicopter showed up when it did yeah yeah that's weird and you can hear in the background in the video all the dogs barking, and you even can hear the uh, the neighbor's uh, air conditioning pop on and off. And you couldn't hear anything. I could not hear anything from this particular UFO. Right. And I thought, well, you know, after the fact, just thinking about it, instead of if I took a rock, I could have threw it and hit it if I really threw hard. Uh-huh. Or got my forty-five and shot at, but I was like, nah. But I don't really want to find out what'll happen after this. Nah, I don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. It's like so, you know what? Let me ask you something, Sean. Now that you mentioned, because you, you know, you talk about that your dad, where he lived, and that you did, you know, I, and it makes me wonder if there's a paranormal slant to this or not. You, you know, you, you've heard of all these people that have gone missing in the woods and these national parks and all this stuff. Do you think? I mean, yeah, I know that there's people that just get lost. I know that it happens. You know, they, they lose their sense of direction. They're not familiar, and they, they just 
And sometimes some of them they never get found, you know. And by the time they're dead or they die, their animals pick apart the the remains, and that's the end of that. But do you think that there's any? I don't want to say whether it's UFOs, some sort extraterrestrials. What What do you think might be affecting that? I don't know. Now the, I have looked into that four one one thing that right, David exactly. Pilates yes. talks about a lot. Yeah. And I uh, used to work with another guy. Um, uh, let's see, what was his name? Mallard, Jim Mallard on the Mallard Report. Yes, yes. He used to be. I used to be with him for a little while doing uh, some news updates and stuff on Twitter right, for him. Right, right. And that's how I really got into it because I was kind of recovering from the lost leg kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I listened to uh, David Pilates on his show one night. Right. And I've kind of followed him since on and off. Mm -hmm. And I have I have a lot of questions about, you know, there's illegally and statistically what the Forestry Service can report and what they follow up right. on. And what's politically okay and all there's a lot of uh, a lot of gray area in that area now is there a connection between bigfoot and ufo sightings and all these missing people possibly well, well you know what um, and it's really funny because really if, if you look at what he's done is he's basically he's gathered information okay mm -hmm. you know and he does describe hey i, I, I omitted people that they, they maybe suspect that they went out there to commit suicide. You know, he omitted all these things and this is what I got left. Okay, and then he has these clusters. And then of course, he you know, he, he, he presents a lot of compelling evidence as to how they're found, where they're found. Um, you know, kind of a little bit, I find it a little bit also that he has sometimes such a hard time getting stuff back, especially about cases that sometimes are like decades old. You know, like mm -hmm. who cares at this point? Uh, and in other words, that it's not an open case. It's not, you know, how sometimes you'll have law enforcement that say we cannot give out this information because it's still an open case, even if it's an old case. No, it almost makes you think, I don't know if it's because, hey, we don't want to give you guys information to show how we've kind of dropped the ball. Yeah. Or uh, is there something more, uh, you know, sinister behind it? If you want to get you know, onto all the conspiracy stuff. Uh, and then again, you look at it and you say, okay, what are the chances uh, that these many people are going to basically disappear? Because in some cases, they're never found. You know, like if you go along with what his, some of his theories is like, is it Bigfoot? Are we talking, uh, you know, extraterrestrials? Are we talking time slips or are we talking rips in another dimension where these people just basically fall into another I mean, it's and of course he never, which I, and I understand why he doesn't. He never goes and talks about that, and I, and he's commented how sometimes they kind of try to pressure him to ask him, "What do you think? You know, why why do you think this is happening?" And he'll very clearly state, "All I'm showing is what I found and what, what the inconsistencies are." Yeah, yeah. There's a big human trafficking yes. caveat that goes with that. So I. I Especially in this area of Virginia where I live, there's a there's a big human trafficking thing yes. that's happened. Yeah, especially in local news mm -hmm. and 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 statewide news, there's a lot of human trafficking, especially around the Washington D.C. area and yes. and the likes. And there's a lot of missing cases around that. And I think David Pilates actually 
mention that a time or two, but I kind of, I kind of wonder, you know, as you know, I, I've got a conspiracy kind of type of mind, but I also have a scientific mind where I was in the healthcare field. I've got to have all the sides wind up now. It's great to jump on and say, okay, let's Mm -hmm. go down the, the paranormal field and say, well, this might be UFO. This might be not. I don't know. I think it's it might maybe a healthy mixture of well, all you of the above. I've even heard the the theory of uh, these are homeless people that are like uh, you know there are people that are living out in the in these parks. You know they're the ones that it's like okay, but come on, you know some of these people that have disappeared are full grown adults. Okay, all right. That right. well, there's a case right now that's in uh, was in beast uh, British Columbia in Canada, uh-huh. and a North Carolina gal. Uh, and uh, her boyfriend that's from Australia was doing some backpacking up in British Columbia. And this is an ongoing current case that was actually in the news this morning. Okay. That there's two young kids, I think 17 and 19-year-old boys, mm-hmm. uh, is accused or is highly suspect that uh, they are uh, uh, responsible for the deaths of these two hikers. And this is in local news and national news and international news since it's over the border. And the last thing I heard was they were these two boys are on the run in Manitoba now. Yeah, good luck on uh, finding them. You know, sometimes especially because that's a very large area. That's so, yeah. Well, I'm I'm kind of used to being rural, uh, being in a rural area where I live, but over in Manitoba and all that stuff, that is way, way yeah. rural. I mean, yeah. people so. don't realize, but when you look at the a map and you look at Canada and you start looking up at those northern prov- you know provinces those areas like are way you know north of like Quebec and Montreal and out there I mean those yeah. are expanses that it's like yeah, okay you know if they survive <laughs> yeah, the winter I mean but <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm surprised my girlfriend's actually from Canada and she she uh, she is surprised how close the the communities are from from my town to the next town is of a span of like five or six miles, and mm-hmm. and she's like, "Oh, if we're in my area, yeah. <laughs> a town is like 30, 50 miles away." Yeah. You know, you'd see a little community or a farmhouse or something in between. I'm like, yes. "Wow, okay." So, yeah, so yeah, it's it's really sparsely populated up through there. So if you want to get lost, that's, that's a place to, to be. But yeah, yeah that, but again, if you survive the winter, because up there the winters are savage. The weather oh, yeah. is very unforgiving. Yeah, right now, like in uh, Manitoba province, yeah. I think uh, this morning it was like 60 degrees here. <laughs> and up in Manitoba, believe it or not, it was like 78 Fahrenheit. Really? You know. Yeah, and the, the uh, it's kind of crazy because of just uh, the, par- uh, the parallel that I'm on versus the parallel up in yeah. Canada. You think it'd be like super cold up yes. there, but there's instances where I'm hotter or colder. Isn't that weird? Versus, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that that, but, that, uh, that that's believe it or not. Every time, every once in a while, I start thinking about that subject, and I'm just like, if there's a very plausible, normal excuse for this, even though I still at the same time when you look at the sheer numbers, it's like there's something here that just doesn't add up. But then what else could it be? It's like, man, that's like a whole different. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, the uh, one of the things Manitoba, uh, since we're talking about expanses, there is a huge uh, paranormal, undisclosed happenings that goes on up there. UFO, Bigfoot, Dogman, you name it. Yeah. 
uh, Manitoba is littered with all kinds of Indian yeah, tribes. They have a and lot stuff of uh, also the beliefs of the Wendigos and everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Wendigos. Uh, mm -hmm. I've heard of several good dog man stories up through there. Uh, two about the same exact two people about the same exact dog man occurrence. Really? Up there. What, yeah. What happened? Because uh, um, believe happened, it or not, I want to interrupt you real quick. Sure. Dog man scares me. I mean, we could talk about Bigfoot, and I, yeah, I'd probably wig out if I saw Bigfoot, but Dog Man scares me. Well, there's there's so many different uh, aspects of Dog Man. What is it exactly? Is right. it a figment of your imagination? Is yeah. it uh, an actual creature, flesh and blood, that yeah. you can put a bullet in or a rock through or whatever? Or is it a possessed being yeah. uh, or whatever? Now, the story I got was actually from my girlfriend. Okay. Uh, this actually happened Halloween night, and she was driving home, and I confirmed this with her. I said, were you drinking or anything when you yeah. did this? Because they were coming back from a Halloween party. Okay. And they were driving on this uh, road, which, of course, we just discussed how uh, sparsely populated it is. So there's nothing but woodlands and flatlands, and it's sort of like being in Illinois. You know how flat Illinois is? Yes. And how flat your your area is, yeah, and, it's but it's like that. So um, she was coming home with her girlfriend. They were conversing back and forth, and like I said earlier, she's one of these gifted people that's spiritually connected. And they were driving home, and it got real quiet. She said that she got this gut kick that something was going to happen, okay. and she comes up on this. Uh, they, uh, it's a power pole, but what they call uh, the electrical poles up in Canada is hydro poles. Okay. And uh, had a light on it and said that they seen this thing was eight or ten feet tall. Hairy, kind of greasy looking wet up against the power pole, kind of in a squatted position. And uh, said that they passed it and they got really eerily quiet and went uh, past it. Yeah, I don't know how fast it was. I would assume, knowing her, she'd probably slowed down just a little bit, then took off and went to her house and then uh, sped into the house. And her mother and her brother were at the house, along with uh, her dog and her mother's dog. And her brother uh, come out, and they told him the story. And they jumped in the car with uh, – I've actually talked to her brother and her mother about this incident uh, on my show, actually. And uh, – uh, it's fascinating to get the same story from three yes. different perspectives and they all talk about it and uh, the mother was left behind at her mother's at her house as she was babysitting the dogs okay. and her brother jumps on in and the girl that was with uh, my girlfriend was the girlfriend of her brother at the time okay. so they, they were sitting there talking back and forth about what it was and they they went loaded with what her brother refers to. We were packing steel, which <laughs> which has weapons. Or whatever. But yeah, Manitoba exactly. has a lot of, you know, they have a lot of gun control up there, so they don't talk about what they what they're packing. Yeah, of course, yes. So they go back out, and uh, I think it was they came in with her truck, and I think they went out with I think her brother's car if i remember the story correctly and they went back to the same general direction where they saw this huge beastly uh eight to ten foot tall 
you know, dog man. It was still there. Well, no. Actually, when they got to it, they saw this big bull, uh, as she called it, a bull, B-U-L-L, in the middle of the road. And uh, she looks, you know, they kind of slowly pass the bull and Uh turn around. And, there, you know, of course, you have to know her brother. He gets really excited because telling a story. And I actually had him on my podcast for an hour and just literally just talking to him. He's one of these excitable people, but he really gives a lot of energy into the interview. And he's, oh, man, I was <laughs> looking for this big hairy beast and this bull's right there. And I'm like, oh. And <laughs> he's looking for dog man. He gets a bull. He's a, yeah, well, he's one of these fellows that really get, likes to tell stories, and he gets uh-huh. really energetic in it. And you have to—it's like herding cats with this particular fellow. And I, I love him to death, but he's one of those fellows that uh, you just have to keep him on track. So they pass this bull, and they can turn around and pass the bull again, but they can't find the guy. Now the story doesn't end there. Uh, let's see. A few days later, my girlfriend said she went to a local grocery slash, uh, a grocery slash, I think it's a post office. You know, it's so rural, okay. you got like one one spot that has like three yeah. or four different things. In it. So okay. she goes, and this um, guy was, uh, 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 there was a farmer there, and they were talking about uh, uh, mutilation, cattle mutilation or something. And my girlfriend asked the guy, about it and said yeah and said there's well, told the general direction of where this happened uh where she saw this dog man and there was there's another another story that attaches to this story sort of kind of okay but um the uh, the guy said yeah i had some mutilated cattle and the same du- direction or vicinity of where this dog man saw was up there now uh that being said yeah, she sort of confirmed that there was something going on around there, and there's a lot of different uh, Indian areas up there, okay. reservations. Mm-hmm. There. So, and she's kind of kept me secret on the reservations or even naming the reservations or okay. the tribes that are around there because it's so rural that if you say, well, this is next to this reservation or this reservation right. or how many reservations are in this area, right. you can probably pinpoint where they is. And she wants to keep her... Uh, where where this happened? Sure. Kind of a secret. So, anyway, uh, she kind of confirmed in her mind that there was something going on there. Now, there's another story when I was talking to her brother about the dogman sighting, and I actually saw there's a, a murder case that happened up through there. Okay. That happened on reservation land. Okay. And there was this one gal that was literally sliced up, stabbed, sliced up to the point. Hey, Tom, I'm heading to Walmart because you know what season it is. Oh, is it pumpkin spice season? Uh, No, it's flu season and Walmart gets flu shots. Yes, flu season is here and we've got your back with flu shots where you already shop. Our expert pharmacy team administers each flu shot and can answer your vaccine questions. Stay safe this flu season. Stop by your local Walmart pharmacy and get your flu shot today. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry 
as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Point where I actually read the uh, the article that was over this, and the reservation closed itself down. The the chief and the 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 rest of the tribal leaders closed the reservation down, so nobody could go on and off. Okay. And the RCMP was not allowed on the property because of the the trees and stuff. Okay. So as soon as they close it down, they become their own little country and all kind of stuff. But uh, there was a, uh, a young guy that was next to her that they found okay. next to this dead body that was basically just chopped up by, like I said, stabbed, I don't know how many times, but the reports that I've heard from three or four different people mm-hmm. that this was this was more than just being stabbed. This was like somebody just literally butchered with okay. some razors or something like that. But there was a young kid that was found next to this dead body alive covered in blood but nude. And this kid is, is still in jail uh, uh, serving out the murder charge for this. But along with this uh, murdered victim mm-hmm. uh there was three other ladies that were accosted that was i think part of the tribe right and they dis- disappeared but i don't think they were killed or harmed or anything other than being accosted by whatever the uh patsy was this kid that was found bloodied covering blood well, let me ask next you to when the- these women that were what did they describe did they that's that's the that's the thing. As soon as the tribal leaders closed down the uh, the reservation, you didn't hear anything from them. They were never heard from again. That now, how I got the three different ladies that were accosted during this altercation right. was from news article, and I asked about it, and I said, "Where's these three ladies right. from?" And the resources that I actually talked to said, uh, "Never heard from them again." So more or less is the tribe absorbed these three ladies and didn't allow them outside the reservation. But uh, a lot of my stories, uh, a lot of the good dogman stories and stuff come from up in Canada. You know, there's a lot of skull, but we were just talking about uh, a dogman sighting kind of down on the Texas, Mexican. Mm -hmm. I know a fellow by the name of Dark Waters. That's his that's his name that does a lot of dogman mm-hmm. stories. Right. I've heard a bunch of stuff through him about this, but there's a lot of you know, Wendigo kind of little people stuff that happens up on uh, Canada, and I've heard all kinds of Bigfoot right. and dogmen and little people kind of stories from up through there. And I actually did a series of podcasts based off of this one um, Indian. Okay. He actually spent. I think it got like eight or nine hours of him just telling stories. Okay. And he uh, he told me a ton of stories based off of when he was a little kid up to, I think well, we stopped about when he was like 21. Okay. He started when he was a little kid, and the way he was telling me was in progression from okay. when he was a little kid older. I haven't talked to him in the last few months. I need to give him a call. Okay. But uh, he was telling me about some Bigfoot stories uh, concerning his uh, grandfather. And his grandfather th- did not speak English or French or anything like that right. other than the local tribal language. Right. And I said, how did you communicate with your grandfather? And he said, well, I knew a few words, but we 
communicated by hand signals. And he was telling he was telling him about a uh, Bigfoot sighting when he was a kid. Oh no no no! This is off uh, uh, same same Indian mm-hmm. that I was talking to. But uh, uh, excuse me, uh, the Indians in Canada want to refer to themselves as Aboriginals. Aboriginals. Right. Right. So um, he was telling me about a story he heard from a bus trip that he was going to a large city. And, uh, uh, well, I'm kind of restricted to tell what province. He wouldn't even let me tell you what province it is. Okay. So uh, he was uh, amongst a bunch of friends returning from this big city on a field trip that was overnight field trip or something like that. And then the guidance counselor slash teacher was telling stories there were, Kind of do the doing the guy thing of telling stories, kind of to get uh, uh, past time away. And the guidance counselor was telling the story about when he was a kid in the same general area that uh, he was with his grandfather hunting deer. Okay. And he was younger and walked out into the forest with his grandfather, and they were trying to scare scare up deer in this mm-hmm. particular woodland following along the trails and stuff and his father his grandfather and this guidance counselor who was a young kid at the time okay. got separated and they were trying to you know, hunt these deer and he got to the point where he got lost and he he said the, that to himself said my grandfather said if i ever get lost don't get afraid be afraid that's how you get hurt Said he said I found a stump and sat down on the stump and collected my thoughts, and he was a young kid, uh, I guess about seven, six or seven something like that, going hunting, and uh, said the first thing he he noticed was this odd smell. He said it was like a stinky ape kind of deal. Okay. And he looked up and he saw like maybe thirty thirty or forty yards away was this hairy stinky ape looking out behind a tree and he kind of looked at it and it, it, I don't know if it motioned to him or whatever for whatever reason this kid walked toward the stinky ape to find it and he got to the point where he found the spot where he last saw him and then uh, the stinky ape stuck its head outside of a, a, another tree down range from him wow. and eventually uh, this wound up leading him back to where his grandfather was now uh that being said i've heard another canadian story on the other side of the continent that kind of paralleled almost to the t uh this was actually a friend of mine that lives in kind of british columbia kind of area okay and this happened to her she told me basically the same story and uh she was uh got lost in the woods and she's, she referenced it as a stinky ape. And she's in her 50s. Now. And she was telling me about this, this story. And she got lost in the middle of the woods and she's crying. And then same scenario, the stinky okay. ape stuck its head around the tree and led her back to a group of people that was searching for her. So I'm kind of, yeah. But, uh, it, it, guys, if you want to know anything about paranormal cryptids or Indian folklore or whatever, go up to Canada and start to start looking through the lore up to Canada. You're going to find a lot of untapped 
crazy stories up there. Yeah, yeah. even the, 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 I mean, they've got a lot of, uh, as a matter of fact, when we were talking about the thing with the Wendigo, I mean, there's the part where they think it's a spirit that takes over a human, or that in some cases, the Wendigo is a totally separate thing, or, you know, like oh, yeah. a creature, in other words. Yeah, this is sort of like a possessed, vampirish kind of... Yeah, cannibalistic kind of thing going on. Yeah, like, uh, one yeah. of the one, one of my friends, Lon Strickler, which I've had him on show a couple times. Yes, he, I've the, spoken to Lon. It's a yes. Phantoms and Monsters dot com mm-hmm. guy. Right. He's told me a bunch of stories back and forth. Uh, he, if if you want to hear any kind of paranormal kind of cryptid stuff, go to the Phantoms Monsters dot com yes. place. And That's he's been collecting pop- those stories for so many years. That's why I say Decade. he's heard a lot of different things. Yeah, he's he's one of those. Uh, fellas, uh, I actually talked about my NDE with them a little bit, and uh, one of the things, obviously, when I had my near-death experience, mm-hmm. when I woke up and I actually got uh, <laughs> to the point where I actually could put two and two together in my mind, okay. I started researching near-death experiences, and I couldn't find a lot of, de- uh, a lot of. I found uh, eight people, or nine people, okay. nine people that I've talked to personally on the phone that had near-death experiences, but I haven't found anyone that really um, uh, kind of meshed up how mine began okay. and ended. Okay. Uh, the, a lot of a lot of people uh, that have near-death experiences will talk about the tunnel of light and all right. these people, all that stuff. That didn't happen to me. The, uh, the, the way it began in my near-death experience was... Um, I was in a hospital room being told by a doctor that I've known for about a decade okay. saying, Sean, I'm going to have to do surgery and, and do an amputation of your left leg. And he said, oh, you've got about a 30 to 40% chance to survive uh, wow. the surgery. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And at that time, you think you'd have a panic attack. You would think, being told that, you know, yeah. you got a better, a better than a coin flip chance of not making it yeah. out of the surgery. So he gave me a bunch of medication to help with the pain and stuff and said, Sean, you just got to name who's going to take over for your power attorney. And my sister was in front of me, so I named her and I said my piece and the, uh, told everybody loving that was with an earshot. Okay. Fell asleep. And then I went into this total darkness for a while. Now, what happened after that was where people, you know, I've heard other stories that start out like this, but a lot of them will start out with, I see this pinpoint of light and it blows up to where this is a tunnel of light that you walk into. Right. Mine, Mine started out as I was conscious in this darkness. I woke up in darkness, utter darkness, like being in the middle of a cave system with no light. At all, no dripping, no sensation, no cool, or you know, just wake. I'm like, okay. And then this eye opens up and kind of glows in front of me. And the weird thing about this eye, it wasn't a human eye. It didn't have a human iris. It had a reptilian iris. What? Yeah. And then it closed, and then I kind of drifted. I, I guess drifted off in the subconscious or something like that and then the eye opened up again after some time I had no sense of time whatsoever during okay. this past then uh, the eye opened up again and another eye opened up again beside of it 
and okay. they closed. And over a course of time, however long that was, I have no clue, because time during my near-death experience was it was sort of like how how it has a, a hold on you here. You can feel the passing of time. Time there was like the wind blowing. It blow forward, backward, side, spin around, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, but uh, over a course of time, if I can use that term loosely, right. I was surrounded by these eyes, like I was in the middle of a snow globe, and the snow globe was lined with these eyes. Well, opening and closing, but uh, yeah. The, and is it is it uh, always this reptilian type of eye that you're seeing? Yeah, reptilian type eye. Mm -hmm. Now, I woke up thinking about this. Now, the, my experience was a lot more vast than that. Okay. Actually, that was just the first part. Okay. Uh, but uh, I started getting questioned about this, that, and the other what happened in my life, like a life review, but it wasn't exactly like a life review. And I, it was endless questions, and, and then one uh, question that kind of got my goat okay. was... Uh, if you remember in Coal Miner's Daughter, that old uh, C.C. Spacek movie, right. you remember the coal, uh, coal community yes. that uh, they were in? Yes. That uh, there was, they were doing this Jeep thing where they were going up and down the hill. That community actually is not that far from me in Appalachia, oh, really? Virginia. And I, uh, my, one of my aunts and my sister actually lived in there after the fact. My aunt okay. at the time, lived, uh, back in the day, lived in that community. Okay. And I have one of my oldest memories is walking down this train track to in the in the coal miner's daughter to this uh, kind of feed store kind of deal. Right. Walk down this train track to get to this feed store where they had this old Coca-Cola bottle machine, this old Tommy thing that you had to go in and all levers and stuff. Right. I remember getting my hand caught in that. But the one of the questions was uh, asked me why did I bend down at age four, four or five, bend down at a, a train track to pick up a Coca-Cola bottle top. And I thought, you know, after that, I was fine just answering questions. I was like, I got really ticked off and I said, why in the hell would you want to know why I, at four or five years old, wanted to bend down and pick up it? And so I started cussing and carrying on and I said is this what the afterlife at that time I fully knew that I was dead okay or I was suspected of this so I, right. I started cursing and I said why not you know uh -huh. okay. make this more PG than yeah exactly it's like okay so uh, all of a sudden all the eyes just closed except for a set of two off in the distance yeah and uh, I started making out this body that was attached to this kind of reptilian floating kind of deal in front of me. Oh. But it was standing in front of this huge opal, kind of iridescent, you know, iridescent opal, but it was kind of liquefied opal, kind of shimmery. Looking at it, and I was like, well, you know, <laughs> I'm dead. I'm going to have to figure out what the right. heck I'm in. So I got, I, I can't say I walked or whatever. I kind of remember having a body at that time, but I got closer to this thing. Okay. And 
I, I was kind of oh, curious what this thing was. Like. What is it like? An opening, like a door? Is that what you're talking? No, it was sort of like a, it was looking through this huge window. Okay. Uh, you know the old. It was about the size of a huge door that you could go into an old house. Like in my house, I have these oversized doors from the right. 1800s. That are there. It was bigger than that, but it was this huge open. And I, I, the thing knew I was already ticked off because okay. you know, I, I felt like I was being prodded and wasting my time and all that stuff during, the, during that uh, episode, however long that was. Okay. And it kind of floated away from the opal, and I looked at it, and it looked at me, but it, at the conversations that we had, it was not vocal. It was all mental, okay. back and forth, you know, psychic or whatever you want to call it. But uh, I said, well, what are you looking at? And I looked inside this opal thing, and I saw someone else floating like I was floating, and they were being questioned like I was being questioned. But it wasn't you. And it was somebody different. Somebody different. It wasn't me. I was looking at through this. Okay. And I looked back at this uh, kind of grayish, greenish-looking, reptilian-looking whatever it was. Okay. And trust me, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> I was like, well, was it me being infected with this necrotizing fasciitis that caused me to have this right. kind of injury hallucination? Or what, what the heck was it? But uh, I reached out to touch to see, well, well, this this obviously is some sort of weird thing that's in front of me. It's solid, but I can look through it. So I went, reached out and to touch it, and uh, my hand went into it. And, and that was the first sensation I had was it sort of like it was warm. Okay. Kind of if you could stick your hand in a warm bucket of uh, house paint. Okay. You know that feeling? That consistency, viscous kind of yes. feeling. And I pulled my hand out, and it was like when I drug my hand out, the, the opal kind of whatever was dragging with me. And it kind of, I can't say I was either sucked in or whatever into this opal at the time. Okay. All I can say was I was surrounded by this white opal. I guess if you look at it that way, that might be the white tongue. Okay. Maybe. But not it wasn't a tunnel. Right. It was at that time. Uh, I my senses were expanded at that time. But when I got in the opal, it was like I was overloaded with all these sensations. It didn't hurt, but it was sort of like you've been in mill. If you've ever been in a large city like New York City, and you get right. bombarded with all these noises, sounds, and stuff, right. but it was a lot more intense. And I rem that was the last time I remember having a body at that time. And I woke up. I not woke up. I kind of got my senses back together. And there was, uh, I was no longer in that area where wherever that was with all those reptilian eyes and stuff. Uh, this was the first point where I actually recognized I was in heaven at okay. that time. And there was this entity that I refer to as an angel okay. and I can tell you that it didn't have a name that I could speak it was more like if you walk into a room or some, you're in a room for uh, um, a while and you're the only one person only person in the room and somebody walks in right. that you've known all your life and love and stuff mm -hmm. and you can feel them right. and you know who they are just by feeling them if yeah. you get my drift that was this angel's name okay. and uh, it didn't have a body it was sort of like a massive light kind of deal 
Okay. And when I tell when I've told the story in the past, I refer to this entity as Bob. <laughs> now, the, just so I don't have Are to re-explain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It wasn't its name, but it's its name now. Bob. But, uh, Bob. So I don't have to re-explain. Okay. <laughs> the entity I told you about that I met at the... And then I had a lot of discourse with this particular entity. It okay. showed me all kinds of stuff. More or less, uh, I could fill volumes of encyclopedia volumes. But let me ask words. you something. Did he, or I'm, we're going to use the word he, and because you were to use the word he, did it look like what you think of as a prototypical angel, or was it just because you think, okay, this is the closest I can think of as to what it we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Own the road with T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Whether you're cruising through Nashville on I-40, heading down I-90 to Boston, or touring Santa Cruz on the 5, you'll be covered by the largest 5G network. T-Mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in America with 5G. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umlaut from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. It is, or he is. When I had all all the things that I experienced that I uh, had preconceived going in. Now I grew up in a, a as a, a, a Southern Baptist okay. in a Southern Baptist family, so I, you know, angels with with wings and all that stuff. That was foremost in my mind. But what I was, yeah, I could say I was seeing, but I wasn't. My experience was I could see 360 around me, but I could feel everything around. It was like okay. I was a part of it. Okay. And one of the, I could feel, sense everything in such detail uh, and converse. It wasn't like a, we're conversing now, the right. discourse you know, that we're having now. But it was like uh, everything that I could instantly ask, I was instantly given the answer to. It was no question that was never, uh, some of it I wish I could remember, some of it I wish I couldn't remember. Okay. Well, some of it, I kind of, kind of wonder why did I ask that question and why did I get that answer? Okay. And um, one of the things, uh, uh, every once in a while, uh, this happened back in 2015. Okay. November 17th was the day I went in. 2015 went in for uh, my amputation. Okay. Uh, and that uh, it's been that long. And every once in a while, I'll go back and. And I'll have these spurts of remembering stuff that happened back in that near-death experience, like, oh, how did I forget this? One of the bigger things was that I remembered, I don't know why I'm saying this, but uh, I was having a conversation with a lady that had a near-death experience, but was unlike mine. Okay. Uh, she's a published author, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head. I can see her face. But we're having a conversation about her near-death experience okay. and her connection with how she began her near-death experience, which was in the middle of uh, – she is a big horse-loving 
person. She does a lot of uh, horseback riding and is on a farm and stuff. And somehow she lost consciousness and was either kicked or something. Fell off a horse. Okay. And she had a near-death experience from that. She floated above her body at that time. And okay. one of the things that I, I personally, along with a lot of near-death experiencers, don't have any fear of death whatsoever. The 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 only uh, the only unknown unknown factor is how how is it going to happen you know, when I pass away finally. Well, yeah. Let me ask: Would you were you did you ask or were you given an explanation what it was that you saw with those eyes? That's pretty- uh, yeah, actually, that's one of the things I've conversed with a lot of people about, and I remember having the conversation. And it was the answer I was given is sort of like a demonic oh. kind of in between between in between being alive and being dead and being in heaven and that kind of stuff. Uh, I remember that. You know, that's a lot, it's like a lot of gray area. That's, you know, that, a, lot that's of stuff. a pretty horrific thing there that you described. Let me tell you. Oh, that, the horrific thing that ain't even horrific. That's that. Well, I did not have any fear ever in this uh, experience. But the, one of the things that uh, came to mind when I was having this conversation with this lady that had a near-death experience, I had this flash that I forgot uh, about. You know, we were talking about not having the fear of not dying. And then all of a sudden I remembered having a conversation that uh, once I realized who God was, mm-hmm. uh, having this uh, conversation with God, and you know, I remember cursing God and trying to surgically remove God out of my life at, at times, even cursing him. And I asked God, I said, why, after all this time, mm-hmm. did uh, um, me trying to remove you from my life, are you allowing me back in heaven in your presence? Okay. And then God just said, well, you're growing up. You didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> and then he showed me... At, uh, it was, it, that was my life review right there. Every time okay. that I tried to curse God or move away from God or whatever, he showed me, or if you can say he or whatever, right, right. God, God is God. God showed me how close God was with me. And it was, you know, even though I was trying to remove God from my life, right. God showed me how close God was with me, even though I was denying and just... Throwing it, throwing it out there, saying no, I don't want you in my life. Right. But uh, it was closer than the skin on the back of your hand throughout the whole thing. Right. And I did not remember that particular thing. It kind of got, it kind of uh, cemented, if you want to use that term, the reason why I don't fear dying anymore. Uh, and it all hit me all at once. That whole. Uh, rather myriad of emotions, laughing, crying, the whole nine yards, the whole gambit uh, with this conversation. I remember having a conversation with the near-death experiencer that was trying to get on my show, right. which I need to contact her because we never did have that show conversation. But um, I started crying on the phone with this, this lady. Okay. And I kind of I choked back a tear or two while I was telling this conversation. But uh, I have events where something will remind me about uh, my dear death experience every once in a while. It's not as uh, 
frequent as it has been in the past, but it hasn't happened in the last few, couple of three months. And I'll say, oh, and my girlfriend, she always quizzes me. Tell me another story of what happened in your uh, in your life or your near death experience, and I'll I'll start telling her a new tale, and she'll say, no, I want to hear about uh, a tale I told her before. I was like, well, you don't want to hear a new tale? No. And then she quizzed me one time. I was out on the back porch, and we were talking, and she said, well, tell me a new tale. And I was like, okay. And I, I can't remember what the tale was. It was something from my youth. And she said, I've never heard it. And I said, well, that's what you wanted to hear. All right. You to tell. Let me ask but, something, uh, Sean. Did you ever get to that point? Because you hear a lot of people that have had those near-death experiences that basically they were okay to be dead. In other words, they didn't want to come back. They were like, okay, I'm good. It's like, you know, uh, and... They come well, back almost like either because they've left somebody behind or they've told well, you've lot, got more work to people, do. A lot of people I've talked with uh, said that they wanted to come back or wanted to stay mm-hmm. but was told to, that they had to come back for whatever right. reason, their connection. Now, my particular one, I remember the conversation very well. I was actually arguing with God at the time. <laughs> and uh, God's, uh, God uh, uh, gave to me that, uh, well, you're going to move on. You're not going to go back. And I said, no, I've got to go back. And I started arguing over these eight souls. Okay. And I don't, I remember I've met three of them. Okay. And, uh, and uh, the other ones I've argued over, and I remember having an argument, but I can't remember who they were. But I can still feel the argument and know what I was supposed to. Said so, no, I got to do this. I got this, and God said no. Just hold. Uh, to use a Southwest Virginia slang, hold your taters. They'll be here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it's it just like yeah, they'll be here in just a moment. Don't worry about right. it. It'll be all right. No, I got to go back. And I, and I remember arguing and getting kind of flustered. And, and then I I sort of stopped and I said no, I've got to go back. And at that time. That that was the first time I actually heard anything orally okay. out of my left ear. And God said, this is going to hurt. And the next thing I remember was falling. I had the sensation of falling. Okay. And you know, I didn't have any sensation of being hot or cold or pain or anything like right. that. But as I was falling, I was getting cold. Okay. And I was falling through this darkness. And when I landed, I landed in this dark, uh, uh, I guess, uh, to borrow what I, how it started, was in this cave in water. I was splashed in water. Got up, and I could hear myself breathe, and I could feel myself being water, and I was cold and, okay. and whatnot. And then uh, after a while, something else fell in the water with me, but all I heard was this kind of rough, breathing uh, yeah i <laughs> it's hard to uh which wasn't you by the way is what you're saying was right? not me was oh. not me i could hear myself breathing and i could right. feel my heart beating okay. and all that but uh so i said well after all i went through i said i don't care who the heck are you what are you doing in here with me what is this place and uh um it's uh said uh what, what, hold on a second, let me think. It said, uh, I'm finally back with you again. What? Yeah, and I'm like, no, you're not. 
And then the next thing I remember waking up in a hospital that... Uh, oh, Sean. Yeah, what? And you didn't see it. This thing just said, I'm back with you again, but you didn't have a visual. All you knew is it... <laughs> it was darkness, and I was in water, and I could hear the echoes and stuff. And I said, oh, no, you're not. And then... <laughs> That's it. Now I've had dreams. My dream, uh, dreaming stuff, it is, it's kind of weird because I wake up in the dream and know I'm in the dream because I got a left leg in my dream and I'm like, oh well, yeah, this okay. is a dream, and I become, you know, sentient in the dream. And I've had some dreams that kind of go wild, but I've had some dreams where I've encountered this particular entity, and the liking is is. Uh, all the stuff that uh, um, I guess I got sort of kind of attached by something before I went into the near-death experience. Yeah. And I've had dreams of it uh, before. One of the dreams that um, I've told to a couple people after the fact, I was actually in the, in this room sleeping. And I, I was uh, back uh, probably about three years ago. Turkey was have, going through this revolution. Okay. You know, if you remember in the news where they had, yeah. you know, the government was flip-flopped and this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was having this dream of being in the middle of this crowd that was just absolutely protesting something. They right. were just up in the air, and you could just feel the tension and the anger and stuff. And in this dream, uh, this dark entity jumps out in front of me. I would crowd in front of me and so Sean, I need you. And I said, need me for what? And what are you doing here? I need you. And I said, no, no, I don't. And then it jumped back in the crowd. What after did it I look like? It was this black mass, kind of shaped in a. Uh, a lot of people, I liken it to some of the details of like the the dark hat man kind of deal, but it didn't have a hat on. Yeah. Uh, I've had uh, uh, one of the others, and then I woke up and. The revolution started over in Turkey at that time when the government was trying to be overthrown, and I don't know what's happening in there now. But uh, that was a distinct. And another one, when I had uh, of this entity, I was dreaming of this place. I was walking around, and I woke up inside the dream, knowing, "Hey, I got my left leg back. <laughs> okay, I'm dreaming this." So it was a, a kind of a, at a dusk time, and you know in a kind of overgrown hay kind of farm scenario with some trees. And there's this old decrepit barn out in the field in the middle where you would keep horses or old hay stashes or tobacco or whatever. And I saw kind of a flickering light in it, and I said, well, I'll just go out and see what's going on in there. And I opened up this door expecting to see the inside of a dark barn with whatever is being kept there, and there was this church inside of this yeah there's this church inside of this thing and there's a bunch of pews and there was this altar with some candles and stuff and it had this um black statue of an angel you know kind of it was just solid black but it was in the, kind of a silhouette of an angel and then I, I was looking around with uh, it, sort of like a cathedral, well, not like a cathedral, it was like an old-time church with a lot of pews and stuff that you would see, and you know, just room enough for about 50 or 60 people if they were sitting, uh, and two rows of uh, church pews. 
and I see this black entity in, sitting in the middle of the left-hand side of this uh, I say church and um, and it looked at, it kind of looked at me well, it looked in my general direction I didn't really see eyes or anything like that so I was like well this is a dream I'll go find out what's going on sit in, in front of it in the pew in front of it and look back at it in this dream hmm. and and okay. it, it said uh, I need you to help me now this was before the turkey thing that I was before this that other dream I had and it said I need your help I said we've been separated for so long I need your help I said no you don't you don't need my help I ain't gave you permission for anything and uh, I said no I need your help I uh, it flashed a bunch of stuff in, in me like a, a, a grandiose kind of things. And I'm like, no, I don't want anything like that. I, I'm here to help certain people, but it ain't you. And then I got up and started to leave, or not leave, I got up to go look at that, that angel statue. And this thing started getting really mad and hollering and carrying on and screaming and throwing the church pews and stuff. And I wasn't paying any attention. So I went up to touch the statue to, to figure out what the heck it is. And then it's a, it screamed out in this demonic kind of voice. And, no, that's mine. And I was like, huh? So I reached out to grab a hold of the statue. I grabbed a hold of the top half okay. of the statue. And it reached and grabbed a hold of the bottom half. And it was sort of like uh, the consistency where... It didn't break in half. Well, I guess it was broken half. But in the dream, it separated. And it was sort of like the, in, the middle of it from like the waist up, okay. melted away from the waist down. It had a hold of that. I grabbed a hold of that and started running out of, the, out of that barn. And I, this is the funny thing. I remember looking down, and I had this old pair of cowboy boots uh, back in the day. Uh-huh. One of my favorite pair of cowboy boots. And I was like, hey, I haven't had those on in a while. And I was in his gravel running down, holding this thing. And then all of a sudden, my left heel on the, the side of that I don't have a leg kind of kind of got cattywampus, and I fell in it. And then all of a sudden, I was on my back, and this what remained of the statue kind of absorbed in me in this dream. Okay. And then this thing said, that's mine. And then I kind of woke up out of the dream, kind of startled. And going, what the hell was that all about? But uh, that's... But, uh, I'm liking it to whatever I was separated before when a near-death experience I was trying to get back. Let me ask you, did you, that was my question prior to the near-death experience. Now that you look back, did you do you remember ever having similar dreams where you kind of saw the same thing or it was only after the near-death experience um the only thing that i had a very rich dream kind of thing where i had to now my dream's a lot better than any any movie out there but uh, there was this one dream that reoccurred over the, uh, the course of my life from when i was a little boy up until months before my near-death experience okay i had this dream of this girl that I grew up with in my dream, dream world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was a little kid, this was this girl was a little kid, and we, as you know, every few months I'd have a dream of her, and then had a dream of this uh, big house, 
right at the last few years of it, this lady was a part of this house, or associated with this house, was always out in the yard. Big house, two-story house, kind of uh, um, old 17-1800-style house. Right. Kind of deal. With a big yard and whatnot, I still uh, I still wonder about it because I since my near death experience, I've never had that dream since. But uh, it was one of those things. After I had that dream, it was just it was so. Um, I felt like it was home in that dream, and then I wake up. And the weird thing was, when I woke up from the dream, no matter what it was, it was like I was in the middle of a honeysuckle patch. You know that smell of sweet honeysuckle. Right. Yeah. It was like. That's what surrounded me for several minutes after I'd had one of these dreams. And you wake up and you go, ah, man, I wish I was back in that dream. And then it fades and that was it. Now, that that being said, that was one of the reoccurring dreams I had prior to the near-death experience. Now, having dreams of whatever that black entity was, no, that didn't occur until after the near-death experience. And I haven't had a dream of that thing in quite a while. I don't want it. I don't want it. But, uh, no, absolutely so- but, uh, yeah, uh, I woke up after the near-death experience with a lot of stuff on my mind with what I experienced in the near-death experience and what I experienced during the hospital stay and after uh, moving back in this house. Uh, <laughs> the weird thing is I'm thinking about right, about right now is when we were talking right before we got on the show, uh-huh. we were talking about all the ghost experiences and stuff I had in the hospital, and I was yeah. like, Wow, we went askew. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you, it, it all comes back to, which I was going to get there eventually because I know you've got some great stories. And, like, we were talking about, you know, hospitals are a hotbed of ghostly activity. And the the ones that usually, whether they want to admit it or not, are the people that work there. You know, some have more well, experiences than other, but man, they see or hear certain things that are like. There's a there's a lot of stories out there, just because they're in the healthcare field, and there's laws against uh, sharing yeah, uh, certain things, so you can't. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. Almost 90% of women have cellulite. And guess what? It's not their fault. We don't choose cellulite, but we can choose a different way to treat it. Meet Quo, Collagenase Clostridium Histolyticum, AAES, the first and only FDA-approved prescription injectable for moderate to severe cellulite in the buttocks of adult women. This non-surgical treatment is injected by an aesthetic specialist in 10 minutes or less. Individual results may vary. Do not receive if you are allergic to any collagenase or ingredients in Quo or have an infection at the treatment site. May cause serious side effects, allergic reactions, including anaphylaxis and injection site bruising. Seek medical help right away for any signs of allergic hypersensitivity. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions, if you have a bleeding condition or take medicine that prevents clotting. Most common side effects include bruising, pain, hardness, itching, redness, discoloration, swelling, and warmth at the injection site. Ask your doctor about all possible side effects and for product information. If you're ready to get to the bottom of your cellulite, learn more and find a specialist at Quo.com. 
you don't get a lot of people talking about it until they retire. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember being regaled by this one little, by a bunch of people about ghost stories in the hospital. Right. Hospitals that I worked in. I, I can't, I, probably a dozen hospitals I've been in. Mm-hmm. Either uh, by association with or contracted to be in or whatever. Right. And I would, would uh, usually I hear the best ghost stories during the night shift. And uh, for whatever reason. Oh, your little doggies don't like ghost stories, oh, do they? Let me tell you something. It's like. I, it, my audience already knows that they are like, they're like, I've got three puppies from a rescue oh. and it's like out of a litter of six, I kept yeah. three and uh, I'm telling you, it's like never a dull moment. But anyway, go ahead. You were saying that, that so, the thing with so, the hospital. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, hospitals are definitely hotbeds for paranormal. Uh, I, I liking to the people that work in the hospital care field right. to ones that are absolute deniers of it to people that are on the fence about it, that lean one way or other, but they, and then there's people that go into the field and go, uh, that are believers. And then they get reinforced by what happens. Uh, now that being said, there's been a bunch of stuff that happened to me specifically considered shadow people. Uh, right. Yes, you made mention. Yeah. Yes. Um, one of the stories that I remember, I remember three or four good ones, but always associated with around a person's demise and you know, passing away. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the stories I've told a few times uh, was about this. I was in ICU at one hospital, and I was doing my last rounds as a respiratory therapist in the morning to get my final data collection to report to the next shift and do whatever was ordered. Okay. And there was this person on a ventilator that had what's called an arterial blood gas line. Uh, if you know what an ABG is, arterial blood gas, where they stick a, a, a 23-gauge needle, which is kind of, you know, it's not very big, but stick it into your wrist to gather blood gases from your art, artery. Okay. But the, the, the line, which I actually have a mark on my hand, my right hand, from where I had one when I was in a coma. Okay. But uh, what they do is to save your, um, save, save your artery from being punctured so many times and losing right. it mm-hmm. is insert this arterial blood gas line. And there's a lot of sterile procedures, and it takes about three to five minutes, maybe longer, to... Uh, do all the sterile procedures to get an actual art, uh, blood out of an arter- arterial line mm-hmm. that is in a sterile field and all this stuff. So I was bending down next to a, a ventilator with the patient in the bed, and it was uh, night shift. And the shift I was on, we did every two weeks kind of a potluck dinner. Right. So we were in the mode of kind of saying, okay, what do you want to bring for potluck the next day or whatever? And one of the nurses that I was working with was notorious not to say anything if she was really uh, into her work. Okay. So, uh, I bent down and I saw this. I saw what was I thought was this nurse come into this room out of my peripheral vision. Okay. But my uh, my vision was on the sterile field. But I I was talking to what I thought was this nurse, and I said, "Well, what do you want to bring for tonight?" Or yeah, tonight. 
and I didn't get any answer. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. But uh, after I got to the point where I was about where I could take my sight off of my area that I was doing safely, right. looked up and I saw this black mass in front of me. Oh. Standing across from me on the other side of the bed, and I, you know, how you, I was looking by the left side of this patient's left arm. Yeah, and I was scanning, and I got up to the point where it was about mid rift on this this thing, the black thing, and it kind of, it wasn't like it bent down to get out of my view. It was like something grabbed it and pulled it up underneath the bed. What? Yeah, and it's like. Like it, either that or this, uh, or a trap door under it just kind of opened up and up. But I, you yeah, know, that's that's what I think happened. But uh, I looked at it and I, I, <laughs> I kind of said, well, I got, I looked down and finished what I was doing with start art line, arterial line, and made sure everything was kosher with that. And I looked out at the nurse's desk and most ICUs are set up in a horseshoe fashion where right. the where the desk is uh, desk where the nurses are uh, so they can see visually see the entire um, ICU from their desk and I was looking to see if anybody saw this or anybody was close to me and this little lady that was five foot one five foot two was sitting there and all I could see was the top of her uh, she was at uh, uh, LPN, and she was one of these old old school nurses uh-huh. that didn't take gruff from anybody. She was, she was, uh, she had her own disposition, and she didn't care to voice her what was on her mind. So I was like, okay. So I walked out to her and I said, "Was there anybody in that room with me?" <laughs> and she looked up at me uh, over her half moon glasses, her reading glasses, and said, "Well." She said, F no, Sean, what are you talking about? You were just in there doing blood gases. And I was like, yeah, I know, but was it my error? Yeah. Uh-huh. She said, other than, a, other than a patient. And, of course, she had a, like a really gruff vocabulary, uh-huh. especially when she was thinking I was. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, where are you so, going with this? <laughs> where are you going with this kind of deal? And, uh, and she said, nah, Sean. And I was like, well, okay. Well, uh, I think that that particular patient passed away two days later after after that fact. But there was other aspects of these. Uh, or I encountered uh, another shadow person up on a cardiac floor, same hospital. One day when I was doing auction rounds, probably about two or three o'clock in the morning, where you go around on a clipboard and you got everybody that will, and you got a whole list of rooms. Mm-hmm numerically and you go down the hallway on each floor and stick your head in each each room whether you got it on the clipboard or not that's, that's occupied to see who's on what and you know you know right. kind of uh discern whether they're on the right stuff or did we get a, a notice that this person's on this particular respiratory treatment or whatever right. so i was sticking my head in each and every one of the rooms and i got down to the point where i could turn down the left from this nursing desk okay and uh, my entire intention was on this clipboard, trying to figure out what where I wanted to go and making connotations and stuff on the on the clipboard. And all of a sudden, this thing, I couldn't feel it, but I saw it out of my peripheral vision just run right past me and hang a left down the hallway. And it was this black mass. And I was like, what the heck was that? So I looked back to see if, it, you know, if I could find it. And the only thing that I could see that would be... Uh, 
reasonable to consider that somebody could jump into was this uh, nutrition room that was, you know, these big, huge fire doors. If you open them up and close them, mm-hmm. they make a, a rather a distinct sound that you can't uh, muffle. So I looked at that, and I was like, nobody's in there. And I looked down the hallway, and I was like, okay. And I kind of shook it off and went down the hallway to do, finish my rounds, and all of a sudden this lady sticks her head out of the room. Help me, help me. My husband just passed out. Oh, and, well, coded this particular patient for uh, 45 minutes or something like that. I, uh, this We went heroic efforts on this particular patient. I've seen some stuff that I hadn't seen other than in manuals okay. done on this patient to help this yeah, kind of revive this patient. But uh, that one was like that. Uh, another um, entity, another instance where I saw this particular shadow person was I was in a monitoring room on a cardiac floor where they monitor, uh, you know, where they have these uh, heart uh, packs on them where they can monitor their heartbeats and stuff remotely. Right. I was in the room talking to one of the monitor techs on a break, and uh, one of the uh, one of the ECGs went out like somebody just pulled a patch off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, just, you know, she's... She was about ready to get up. I said, no, nah, just what room is it in? I'll go check it out and just put a patch back on or whatever. And uh, she told me the room, and I went out. And as soon as you know, the door was closed to the hallway, that was right on the other side to get into the patient care area room, hallway. Okay. So I opened up the door, and this shadow thing went right past me. Zoom. Wow. I was like, what the heck? And I went to the room, and there, uh, yeah, and I was like, gosh. well, where is this person? Huh. And I was about ready to leave the room, and I just said, well, I'll go look on the other side of the bed. And I saw this half-cocked foot between the footboard and the mattress, and this person was laying dead there. What? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so we coded that person and didn't make it back. But there had been... Uh, I've seen some other shadows and stuff. But let me ask: the the person had what passed away? Nobody had realized it because. Well, it it was the person I went to fix the ECG monitor, the heart monitor. Okay, okay, okay. Now I understand. Okay, so basically, it was like. Just then. What? Yeah, and I was, I was, I was getting up to go do, you know, a good deed and say, hey, don't worry about it. I'll go. go, Right, because you're just thinking it's one of these monitors that's come off. Yeah, just cut them off or something like that. Uh, it's, it's nothing in the middle of the night to see something go flatline. You're like, okay, well, I'll go look at it and repi- replace it or whatever. Some some people just, you know, kind of fight in the middle of the night and pull off every wire they got on them. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. So, Well, you know what? A couple of years ago, I was doing this tour, and, you know, people come up to you and tell you stories, and there's this one guy comes up to you, and it's the same thing. He, he wasn't working in the medical field, but it was the same thing. He was working like that overnight ship kind of deal mm-hmm. I don't want to say, I don't think it was ICU I just don't remember honestly but anyway he says that usually was very quiet and he says you know uh, minimal staff and it was like a floor basically and he says you know after a while you know who's you know who, you know you look at your patients and you know what's going on with what with who mm-hmm. and he says that him I think and he said two other nurses or something like that they're at that station and all of a sudden he says you heard a woman scream like scream, not like scared scream, like bloody terror, like that they all looked at each other. 
like, but it was, she, he said it was really weird because it was on the floor, but it was really de- difficult to determine where it came from. So he was the only one that volunteered. He says, I gotta go look to see what's going on. Where did this come? So he says, I mean, it wasn't, he, I, I guess from what he told me, it wasn't that he had that many rooms. Basically, he went up and down. And from what he was describing, it was from the way that that nurse's station was. They had kind of like a clear vision in both directions of the hallways that led off. Mm-hmm. And he says he went into each and every room. And he says, everybody, all the patients were okay. Most of them were asleep. You know, there was nothing. And they, and they never were able to explain. He says the two nurses there. They were like so, and he says he says you you saw exactly a lot of times exactly what you described shadow people, or stuff like that at the end of the hallways. And he says after oh, a while, yeah. people uh, I, they don't want to investigate. They don't do what you did. <laughs> Forget it. Well, uh, I, that reminded me about. Uh, well, I've got two stories that are. One is about uh, experiencing an NDE with a patient that I just revived. Really? Well, I've got two stories like that. The one that sticks out, and then there was one that when I first started as a respiratory therapist, my first job ever in this little rinky-dink 40-bed hospital, and I went into this room with this little old lady, can't remember the name or anything like that, but I walked in, and there was um, the uh, medication nurse was doing her rounds. And we were kind of tagging along with each other. I would go in one room, give them breathing treatment or whatever, and she'd come in. And we, we were kind of going back and forth. And I went in the room before her, the medicine nurse, and said, My name's Sean, yada, yada, yada. I'm here to do whatever breathing treatment for you. And the little lady looks up at, at me and said, no, I don't need the breathing treatment. The nurse just come in and gave me one. I was like, mm, well, I was only one on duty on that floor. Like, yeah. No. And uh, she uh, adamantly said, no, I've already been given my breathing treatment. And she explained to me who it was. And at that time when I uh, was uh, in healthcare, started healthcare. Nurses were still wearing those nightingale hats that mm-hmm. uh, were so prevalent back then. Nowadays, you don't see them a whole lot. But uh, she explained the, the look of the lady and stuff like that. And I went out and told the, at, I think at that time, I had to tell the medicine nurse that she refused medication from us, mm-hmm. the respiratory side. And I said, did you do give her anything? And she said, nope. I said, I'll tell you here in just a second. She walked in, and that lady refused her, too. Said, no, this nurse already gave it. And she come back out and told me the story. Said, every once in a while, right before a patient passes, that passes on the floor, they'll see this nurse that was there when the inception of this hospital that died on duty in this hospital. And they'll and she said this is this has happened to me several times and uh, you know I was warned about it and stuff that they'll see this nurse come in and give them medication and they'll say the same thing describe them to the T about the you know lights you know nursing so this wasn't that and, one patient that was just happening no. to be you know like hey you're hallucinating and you're thinking somebody's giving you treatment. Wow. Yeah, I was uh, you know I was young and thought I knew everything about respiratory and. I, and you get encounters like this, and you're like, what the heck? 
I'm going to ask you the magic question. Did that patient die soon after? Or did you? Uh, to my knowledge, I think they did because just uh, just the conversation I had with the, this nurse, Mm-hmm. I don't recall specifically if they passed away, but you know she was on. Yeah, she was old enough to not you know, say she wasn't going to pass away. Right. But I have I I have seen other people like that would you know a lot of things that were, would reoccur like with patients that um, I dealt with over the years as a respiratory therapist on their deathbed would uh, tell me you know, that there are the people in the room and say, well, my uncle's over there, but I don't know why he's over there. He's been passed for ever and a day. And I've had, I've actually had that happen to me personally with family members that have been on their deathbed and call out for long passed away folks. Yes. And, and, you know, like, uh, uh, unfortunately, I, I uh, stayed with my grandmother for all, or for over a year, and as she was in her you know, final days, she was in the middle of the night calling for her daddy. That had, now I remember as a little boy, my great grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I went to the funeral, all this stuff, and I remember her calling out for daddy in the middle of the night. And I'm like, wow. And this particular house that I'm in, this place had a lot of paranormal stuff going on right. during that time. Now. Uh, it was kind of weird and eerie and to hear her calling out for these people that some of them I've heard of and some of them I knew and some of them, you know. Right, you knew. Okay. Right. It was maybe they had passed on before you were. I, I, one time I had a, a ghost hunter. She, her daytime job was a hospice nurse. And she told me, you know what, Marlene? Um, once, once I had certain patients that she had done it for several years, whenever they start doing exactly what you described, Sean they start talking to this certain person that sometimes she knew by the way because of you know that she got to know the family that this person was deceased it says when they start yeah. doing that i know that it's very shortly they're going to be passing away oh yeah well um well that hasn't happened in quite a bit since i've been living in this house by myself for a while but upstairs uh, where i live on the first floor upstairs i can hear i heard people walking back and forth upstairs and knowing that nobody's been upstairs in days and days and i haven't heard it uh upstairs in the last little bit but i've heard people and it sounds like people upstairs walking around and what was what was the upstairs used at as uh bedrooms a, or what? yeah bedrooms there's one two three there's four bedrooms up there one's converted into like a bathroom slash mm-hmm. sitting room right kind of deal at the top of the stairs uh well i think i told this story to you right before the program started mm-hmm. but uh there's this little old lady that haunts upstairs and okay. she used that to my knowledge this is what i think who i think she is before my my grandparents bought this place uh they lived in their property adjacent to this on the property line and they kind of swapped places and whatever it was to swap the properties and I remember this little lady with uh, the great uh, grandson uh, or great grandson of the uh, original owner of this place that owned the there was a grocery store one of the first grocery stores in the region that is on the footprint of the property is 
where I park cars in my yard now. But it was a two-story kind of establishment. But uh, I remember as a kid seeing this little lady that I think she passed away when she was 100 and something. Okay. And I remember her coming out of the back door uh, in the middle of summer dressed in a big, heavy house coat and one of those big sunbonnet kind uh-huh. of hats. You know, big sun, you know, people wear don't want any sun on their skin. Right. Uh, she'd come out and look at the old owner of this place and look uh-huh. over his garden. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks garden he had in the backyard and i remember seeing her like that and i do remember several uh times when i look upstairs in the second floor in this house outside when i was a kid before we owned this this property seeing somebody standing in one of the rooms up there and nobody was up in that room for various reasons uh just because of the only people that was up there was you know the old man that used to look own this place and his mother that passed away okay kind of stuff but the old lady uh we i've had conversations with my family and my sister and my niece okay. was here probably about springtime of this year okay the first of spring and i was telling her some ghost stories they had heard one of my podcasts i was telling one of the ghost stories in this house and uh my niece uh, has two sons that okay. are toddler age, okay. three uh, three and five, I think, is the age right now of them. And they won't allow any of the, the toddlers upstairs because of the ghost activity. Sure. So I was like, oh, really? I'm sorry about that. And I said, no, they knew about this house. So you long, think that, that little lady upstairs is the little lady that used to live there? I believe so. Uh, one day... Um, to retell the story I've ever told you just for mm-hmm. the, your listeners. Okay. Um, one day when I was going to college, I was uh, living here along with my grandparents and going to college full-time and, and working full-time. And I was coming home from a clinical uh, at a spot in Tennessee, in Kingsport, Tennessee. And I was coming off on uh, what we called an evening shift rotation okay. for the clinical. And by the time I walked through the door, it was well after midnight. So the front door is on the other side of this wall that I'm in uh, in right now. But the uh, uh, room I'm in. But uh, right in front of the front door is the staircase. And then you can go down the hallway and there's two bedrooms on the side. So I walked in a little between 12 and 1 a.m. 
something like that. And I walked in, and I was trying to be as careful and as quiet and try not to wake up anybody. So I didn't turn any lights on, and I was using the outside street lamps to illuminate uh, the staircase. And there was a picture window at the top of the staircase that uh, I used to uh, negotiate the stairs to get up and go to my bedroom. Mm-hmm. up there and i got up three or four steps looked up for whatever reason and there's this little lady like five foot nothing looking down at me and she's dressed in this period eight late 1800s period dress with a gray long uh ankle length dress on okay. uh, uh sort of like she was dressed to go to church but i would assume but had uh, one of those high collars with those opaque uh cameo necklaces on okay and her hair was up in a bun looking down at me like, well, who are you and what are you doing here? And I'm looking up at her and I'm like, I, I don't know you. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, <laughs> and for, okay. whatever, for whatever reason, I didn't scream or say, hey, who the hell are you up there on top of my step? And uh, there's a serial switch at the bottom first step. And I was feeling for it and I uh, locked eyes with this thing for a good 45 seconds to a minute trying to find this thing. Pop, and, you know, I've almost lost my footing trying to stretch to find the the serial switch, and I just so happened to look back and saw you know, I was just inches away from the the switch to turn the light on. And I popped the light on, looked up, and the thing was gone. And I went upstairs, turned the other serial switch up at the top of the stairs off, and I went around the staircase and into my bedroom and closed the door. Now, that being said, while I was here uh, on Sundays, uh, while I was working, I was working uh, morning to night, okay. either going to school and work or work and school and whatnot. And Sundays was my only days off. So well, I, I relished those days, and I would sleep in. That was my days to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, sleep in. So I was sleeping in on several occasions. And one occasion, I was sleeping in, and I heard uh, this uh, faint voice singing a hymnal without music. You know, okay. in the Southern Baptist, you'd have these uh, hymnals where, or uh, hymns that uh, the whole group would sing along and stuff. And it was that, I, that seesaw-y kind of right. uh, or singing. And I thought, well, my papa was notorious for little radios. He loved little radios, and they were all over the house in the basement, outside in his work, work shack, that whole nine yards. And uh, I thought, well, that old thing is, uh, he left one of those radios on on the uh-huh. gospel station. Now I went back to sleep listening to this woman singing. And uh, I woke back up and heard my grandparents apparently was coming back from church. And... Uh, I smelled KFC chicken. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's time for me to get up and come uh, here. So I went downstairs and uh, saw my grandmother in her um, Sunday dress, and she was unloading two big sacks of KFC. And I was like, hey, uh, where's Papa at? And she said, he's out in the car doing something. And I was like, well, he's left one of his little radios on. And he said, well, you can tell George here in a little bit and see where it's at. And Papa just had came in through the kitchen door, which I was standing in in the uh, entrance to the kitchen from the dining room. And he looked at me. He said, what are you talking about, son? And I said, well, one of your little radios is on. I heard uh, 
a, a hymn being sung for a good 30 minutes. And he said, no, there's no radio zone around here. He said, you got to be nuts. And I was like, no, I heard it. Where's, he had this little cube radio uh-huh. that uh, he it was portable, about the size of a big softball, but it was cube. I said, where's that little cube radio at? And then, uh, <laughs> it was like a magician. He reached behind the door, uh, behind <laughs> this door hallway, pulls this cube radio out, and he says, is this one you're talking about? And I was like, yeah. I said, no, that's been off. And I said, was there any other radios on? No. There goes that theory. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there goes that theory. But I had heard several several times of uh, a little lady singing a hymn in this house and disembodied voice singing. I haven't heard it since I moved back in here, but I've heard several voices in this house that I'd wake up or in the middle of the day hear something or see something and right. go, what did I just see? Right. And uh, my girlfriend uh, that I referenced earlier, mm-hmm. she, one of the first days she was with me in the house alone, and uh, she woke me up in the middle of the night. Have I told this story on air? Or was this no, one? no, go ahead, no. Oh, okay. So... In the middle of the night, I uh, she woke me up and said, "Sean, there's somebody with two women and whispering out in the hallway, and yeah, this place doesn't have central air, so I've got a window unit air conditioner, uh-huh. a window. So we had the front the door closed to the, the hallway just to keep the air in. And uh, she said she woke me up, <laughs> told me about these two ladies. I said. Oh, don't worry about it. It's probably somebody out in the street talking. She said, nine at 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. And uh, I kind of passed it off because, you know, I was here alone, and this this kind of stuff don't bother me anymore. Right. Uh, but uh, I fell back asleep, and then she woke wakes me up shaking me and said, now they're banging outside and still whispering. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I listened. I heard some banging, but I didn't hear the whispering. But I don't doubt that she heard it. So I tried to console her. I said, I'll just go back to sleep. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> and sure. And then she buries, she buries her head in between my shoulder blades. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. And grabs a hold of me like a, she's grabbing me like a, a, a bear hug. Yeah, and I woke up and said, what was, I, I think I dreamt that you woke me up telling me there was ladies out in the hall. Yes, they were. As a matter of fact, kind of deal. Like, oh my God! Sorry about that, but there are some been some interesting things happening in this house. Over right, and you're like, yeah, and I'm used to it. That's I'm why. used to it. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I before the NDE, if I was living here now before the NDE, and I didn't have the NDE or the whole nine yards, I'd probably be spooked out of my gourd because <laughs> I remember living here being spooked out of my gourd. Yeah, and uh, with people in the house. Right. And thinking, what the heck's going on here? But now, uh, since the near-death experience, it doesn't bother me. I know where these things came from, and it doesn't bother me whatsoever. Now, one of the things I have noticed doing this uh, paranormal podcast stuff that I've been doing for since May of 2018, Mm -hmm. I've noticed if I talk to certain guests, now, I'm not going to name guests or anything like that, but uh, if it's on a particular paranormal subject like demons or what, well, I'll pick on one of the, one of the, one of the fellows I just talked about, Dark Waters. He came right. on my show, and he's big into paranormal and you know, cryptids, dogmen, and stuff. He was telling about a particular instance 
about a uh, demonic entity that was around his house. Okay. And he named that entity uh -huh. on air. And as he was naming the entity, he's uh, at the time it was before I had my my microphone set up. I've got now. Uh, it was a condenser mic, and condenser mics pick up echoes like crazy. Right. So I had to find out how to get rid of the echo in my microphone. So I stuck my microphone set up and the computer and everything in my closet, surrounded by the clothes in the closet, to get rid of right. the echo. Right. So I had a little stick lamp beside of me, illuminating my keyboard and all that stuff. And as he named this entity, this demon, which I don't, it don't bother me now to. I'm not going to name the name, but uh, uh, he named it, and then he said, all of a sudden, said, oh, now I've really got to tell the story because something was tugging at his shirt, which While I'm like, okay. While he's talking to you? While he's talking to me on air, and I, uh, you know, all of a sudden, I'm looking down at my keyboard, and I, it was well illuminated by the stick lamp. That's okay. probably about five feet tall, and I'm in my wheelchair looking at my keyboard, and this shadow comes over top of my head, over top of my keyboard, and I'm like, what? And, uh, so anyway, um, I had a lot of instances after that to where there was some, I guess, either poltergeist or stuff. I had, I've had pictures pulled off my wall and thrown in the floor and stuff. I've actually got one captured on camera where I'm rolling by in the hallway, and there's a, there was these two. Um, you know how these little sconces you can put, but it was not a sconce. It's a like a little ledge that you can right. uh, tack onto the wall and put a picture on. Mm -hmm. Well, I've had one of those that had been on that wall for uh, easily 10 years plus. Okay. And I was about ready to do a show to tell ghost stories like I'm telling to you on, right. um, uh, I can't remember the show. But anyway, I was about ready to go do the show and tell ghost stories for two hours. And uh, I uh, rolled by, and all of a sudden, I was on the phone with my girlfriend, and you hear this big smash behind me. And I'm looking back, and there was this big, long, lengthy, 100-plus-year-old table that was real thin that you can put pictures and stuff on. Right. And something had pulled this little uh, ledge with a picture of Christ on it down off of it. Now, I looked at the footage from my security camera in the hallway that looks at the front door. And it wasn't, it was like something grabbed a hold of the uh, the perch that the picture was on and pulled it directly down. It wasn't like it was, you know. And let me ask you, this: how long ago was this after that conversation you had with Dark Waters? Was it like right after? I mean, uh, this was probably weeks after. Wow. Uh, that I had that conversation. Well, well, the the podcast that we did that day, we kind of did a prayer protection after the podcast. Okay. And it's tagged on the actual podcast recording, so if anybody listens to it, hopefully nothing happened. But uh, I've told ghost stories since. Uh, okay. Was it last Halloween? Yeah, last Halloween. Okay. Somebody, somebody, I was in a a, a voice chat. On Discord, okay. if you know Discord. Yes, yes. Uh, I, and I was telling ghost stories in this Discord voice chat, and, and they said, well, how long can you tell ghost stories for? I said, I don't know, and it was Halloween night, and I said, why not? Okay. okay. So I spent like two and a half hours, and I told one ghost story after another. And before, if you remember, the uh, 
paranormal show host Heather Wade when yes. she was still active. Yes. I called it to her in the middle of me doing this ghost story. Okay. Uh, roundabout and told another ghost story and come back and start telling ghost stories. And I felt uh, something kind of scratched the back of my leg while I was talking on the <laughs> talking on air with everybody. And I was like, what is this? And I reached down to, you know, I thought, well, maybe I tagged something on my wheelchair or whatever. Right. And I've got pictures of this on the back of my calf. There is like five scratch marks, almost equal distance, in a yeah. circle. You know, about two. Oh, hold on a second. Let's see if I got. I ain't looked at it in a while. Uh, no, I don't have any scars from it. But I've got the actual picture of the, the marks on the back of my leg. And I was like, oh my God. So I did a lot of prayers after that and it hadn't happened. But there wasn't nothing there. Did you remember what, what story in particular you were saying when that happened? Or you know? Or I, told it was like... the one about, I told the one about DW. And, uh, oh, uh, it was when you were. Oh, oh, oh I get it. Uh, I, get well, it. I, was, I was referencing that one and I told. Uh, uh, one I was referencing about, well, there's two near-death experiences I had with two different people. Um, one I refer to as a heaven near-death experience, and another one as I refer to as a hell near-death experience. I think I told the hell one. Okay. Uh, but um, it took a while for those scratches to heal up, if I remember correctly. That is... So anyway, I uh, the one of the, one of the things I do uh, quite a lot during the course of a day just because is say prayers a lot. Yeah. You know, that's just one of those things I do, and I, I say a lot of prayers of protection, especially around this house, since my uh, uh, niece and, and sister told me about uh, they were afraid of, for the kids to go upstairs. So I say a protection of prayers for for anybody enters the house and leaves the house. So I'll say a lot of stuff like that, and you know, since it, the activity in here has ramped way down, since I've done specific types of prayers okay. to keep the paranormal activity. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's right. up to you. But that's the way right. it works for me, and works sure. for the people around me. But, right. Uh, uh, I've uh, last last. Well, you want to hear another ghost story that happened in here? Well, you, you know what? I, I want yeah. you to tell the one which, when I did my interview with you, which I think was a great story, that you talked about that neighbor of yours, or I guess what we are, your grandparents that used to kind of have a problem with the drinking. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. That is uh, such okay. a great story. Okay. Well, this has to, this connects back to my dreaming. You know, okay. having dreams of waking up in the middle of dreams and stuff. Right. Uh, there was this uh, guy, and he was he's famous. He was famous in the area. He was well known as being the you know uh, big into baseball for the town, and you never seen him without the ba uh, the town's baseball mascot hat on. Okay. Or yeah, the baseball outfit, the shorts, and all that stuff. And I kind of you know. When I was a teenager, I didn't really pay attention to it, but I, I got wind of, you know, his drinking and okay. stuff like that. But he, he his property is right adjacent for me. I'll share a fence line with his old property that now is abandoned and is now taken down, shorn down to the ground. Okay. But uh, uh, one day, uh, one of my routines was back then was to get up 
7 a.m., 8 a.m., and go get a drink uh, and start drinking coffee, eat breakfast, and do my mass consumption of whatever news topic or paranormal story I want to get into at that time. Mm -hmm. And I really don't have anything that would cause me any grief, per se, during that time to have any gloom or doom on me. And one, and all of a sudden I get this end, uh, oh my God, this, you know, this life ain't worth having. I got this big, massive, gloomy feel, and I was about ready to put my head on the kitchen table, and I was like, wait a minute, why am I feeling like this? And all of a sudden, when I thought it, that what is this, is this mine, the feeling left me, and I was okay. And I heard some banging and pecking out in the uh, yard, and I looked out the kitchen curtain, and there was, they were starting to dismantle uh, the old house that belonged to this long-past fellow. And I never really put two and two together, and then about an hour or two later that same day, I was in the kitchen doing something, and uh, in the hall, eh, not in the hallway, in the um, dining room, there stood this guy, probably about five foot six, in the in this uh, kind of I, I hate to say it, wife beater t shirt, yeah, yeah, uh huh, and high water pants up to right below the navel, uh huh, and, and, and standing there, and I kind of looked and glanced and looked back and then looked again, and I'm like, what the heck was that? And I seen it over the course of uh, several days, and I finally asked one of my family members and. I, I kind of put it together that it might be something that I may know, but I didn't know who it was. And then one of my family members referenced uh, the guy's name that owned that house that's been dismantled. And I was like, yeah, that did look like him. <laughs> and that's the thing. So, you had never seen this person prior to them doing the to the house. It was afterwards. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. It was a- after they started dis- dismantling this thing. And I, I, every time I would see this thing, I would get this kind of doomish, gloomish kind of deal. And I finally said, you know, started praying about it. And um, this is when I first started really living alone by myself. And uh, I said, uh, you need to find God and go toward the light and started praying about it and stuff. And it kind of slowed down me encountering this thing. Or whatever this. How long had he been dead, Sean? Did you ever know how long he had been dead? By you know, by Probably the time he started doing that thing with his house. Probably a decade. What was oh. what, what? What? How I, in my mind, tied uh, this gentleman with this ghost was 
my grandparents, my grandfather used to take care of this gentleman when he would get on his drunks. Uh, one story in particular that I remember, uh, he, this particular gentleman that uh, had passed out drunk in a ditch during winter and was covered with snow. My grandfather, being the, the type of man he is, you know, took him in, warmed him up, and sent him back to the house to make sure he's okay. And uh, um, one of the things that I remember right before all this stuff stopped with seeing this particular ghost was I was asleep. Okay. Uh, in in my bed and I woke up in the dream and I started to get up I heard somebody in the kitchen and all of a sudden I started standing up and I had my left leg and I said wait a minute I got my left leg okay this is a dream and I was like I walked into the kitchen and there stood my grandfather walking out of the kitchen going toward the back door to go outside and I said hey papa that's what I used to call him mm-hmm. what are you doing here and he, he's like oh I had a um, uh take homer home which was the name of the gentleman right and uh said i just gotta go go back and i was like mm, okay well it was good seeing you he he kind of he was like this five foot two old guy that was basically a kid stuck in old man's body you know he'd uh, when he'd get some, some kind of a sneaky notion in his head he always have this kind of uh, half cock grin on his face and he kind of grinned he said hey you want to go for a ride and I was like well this is a dream why not <laughs> so I walked out with him on the back porch and went out to uh, outside and there was this old Ford LTD black car that he used to have back uh, over a decade and a half ago and I was like okay and my sister was standing there um, and uh <laughs> And my grandmother was in the front passenger seat, and he said, okay, kids, get in the car, and let's go. So we jumped in the car, and my sister uh, was looking at me in the, in, in the back seat and said, Sean, is it okay for him to be driving? And I said, ah, this is a dream. Don't worry about it. So uh, I can remember that every inch of the drive to the destination point, at the point, he didn't tell us what the destination was. And I remember... Uh, having uh, a memory of me being in the backseat of that car when I was a kid right. with an old Star Trek cheap phaser thing with a right. push the button and light and it makes noises and I said yeah. if I had that laser in my phaser in my hand that would be cool and my grandfather uh, I was kind of keeping track where he was driving Okay. and, and I said hey Papa where are we going and he said we'll get there in a minute and I noticed where he was driving. He's driving toward his old church. Okay. So we, he runs out to, to the church, and my sister, uh, as the car stopped, my grandparents jumped out of the car and went to the back entrance to the meeting hall in the back of the church where they did all the cooking and cleaning stuff for the, right. the church. And my sister said, well, what do we do? And I said, well, you follow Grandma or Mama, and I'll follow Papa, and we'll see what happens. So... Uh, both of them darted in. My sister darts in, and then I see Granny go off to the left. Papa jump off to the right, and my sister runs after Granny, and I run off trying to follow Papa. But as I was walking in, you know, I I've been in a church a, a few times, okay. and I, it's a small church. Is you know, uh, in that area, you probably get fifteen twenty people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing their cooking, cleaning, or whatever for the meeting. And uh, instead of seeing that, I see this big cathedral, huge, 
place with all these people standing, laughing, talking, sitting, and Paul being his little five foot two, five foot three gentleman. Uh, I liken it to if you remember the Christmas story with uh, Ralphie with his Red Rider BB gun jumping around in the house to go outside. Uh-huh. It was like him. He's got a jackrabbit running through the back of this cathedral. And I finally called up to him, and he was just dancing away. And I said, Papa. I said, uh, what are you doing? He said, I'm dancing, son. What do you think I'm doing? And he grabs a hold of my hand, and I st- start dancing with him. And then he stops, and he points down at his shoes. And he's one of these fellows that had uh, specific shoes for specific things. Right. And right. Um, he had on a pair of old brown leather shoes and he, that he wore for church. And okay. he pointed at his shoes. And I was like, okay. And I looked down, and there was like a, a drop of water kind of spot that popped up on the on the leather okay. of the shoe. And it got darker, and he put his foot down, and that dark spot kind of grew and went up his legs and then kind of started engulfing him. And I was like, Papa, you got to go away. And he said, yeah, I've seen a little bit, though. And uh, he faded away. And I was there in the middle of this big, huge cathedral looking around with nobody in it. Everything okay. had disappeared. And I was like, so this is Papa's heaven. Okay. Then I woke up. And when I woke up, I was back in the bed where the whole dream started. And it was like uh, you know, the first day that you open up the house after yeah. uh, winter. Uh-huh. Open up the house uh, for the first time, the windows and all that stuff, and the spring air comes in and the freshness. That was the feeling after I woke up after that particular dream. And it stuck around for about two or three days. It was a fantastic feeling, but I never saw that Homer. I was about to say, was that the point that... That was the end of it. They hadn't seen. Now, I've seen full-body apparitions. You know, I kind of... Uh, the last one I seen was in the living room, and I was in the kitchen. Uh, the first floor is set up to where the kitchen um, looks. You can look directly through the dining room into the living room. Okay. And I was at the corner of the kitchen um, making uh, coffee or something, and I just so happened to look around, and there stood this guy that I'd never seen before in my life, uh, dressed in a... Uh, I guess probably 50s, 30s kind of dress. Okay. Suspended pants and had an old long sleeve shirt rolled up past his elbows. Okay. Kind of like he'd just come in after doing some work. And I looked up at him and I looked back and kind of one moment he's there, next moment he wasn't kind of deal. And I was like, what the heck is that? And by that time, I had changed how I was praying. And I uh, prayed and I said, you don't have, I didn't give you permission to be in here and did a little, uh, the rebuke and stuff like that and hadn't seen it since. But uh, since I started doing that kind of prayer stuff, it, this place has been pretty calm. Right. Other than the last time my girlfriend was here. And she, she's, I don't know. There was a, as she, <laughs> I've got a video of her coming down the hallway that the same camera that took the, picture of the uh, picture being pulled off the wall she was coming down the hallway and this orb was chasing her down the hallway and i just so happened to see it directly after that she kind of freaked out after i showed her that she said oh my god this place is haunted 
I said, I said, yeah, I'd say this place is haunted, but nothing's going to bother. But she would never go downstairs in the basement. I was about to say downstairs. As I don't know what there is about basements. Basement cellars. It's well, almost this, like if it's haunted, it's to the worst degree. What is it about basements? Uh, base. Well, this particular basement, uh, the the property that I'm on around here is full of springs and underground uh-huh. lakes and rivers and stuff. One of my things, my brother was well, he was a spelunker, amateur spelunker, where he'd go chase things down in caves and stuff. Right. And he, I haven't seen this picture, which I hope to see, maybe, if he still got it. You told me about this cavern he went into that he had repelled down into, and it was a big, huge underground lake. And underground. Let me tell you, that's, I'm telling you right now, he repels yeah. down into places. Oh, well, he did when he was able, but he was... Uh, he told me about that. I said, no way. I said, what'd you do? So that repel down. And uh, uh, this was actually in the news. Uh, the place I think he repelled down, the story he told me about, he repelled down. It was actually in the local news and actually hit uh, national news as one of those weird stories that kind of hits news right. nationally uh, for this local area. And uh, a few uh, men got stuck down there because of uh, the rain that hit the place last year. And I said, I remember that. I think my brother had repelled down in there. And they, what what happened was these men repelled down into the that cave system. Okay. And rain hit, and it flooded, and they got locked down down in that cave system. Oh. But uh, this whole place, like uh, uh, the reason back go back to the basement for this particular place, the basement, this whole basement um, has a lot of uh, water seepage problems. We got. Okay. Well, we've got a two big, huge uh, sump pumps down there. Just keep it dry. Okay. So that's my uh, my theory. One of my theories for paranormal activity is there's some sort of water source. Yes. Either yes. either underground or you're right next to uh, yeah. whatever. Now, uh, one of the things I was going to reference there is an old uh, it used to be old trading track, right? probably about 50 yards from front of my house. Okay. That there's a tunnel that goes through this mountain, or not a mountain, a hill, I guess. Mountains for some people, but this is a hill. And uh, but uh, this thing had a fresh spring that was in it, and it was always almost partially flooded, even when it was functioning. Okay. So I I know there is a water source underneath the house. Significant Uh, enough that yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I did specifically when I first started living here alone was uh, put a camera, closed circuit TV camera downstairs. So if, you know, just to keep an eyeball on if one of the pumps failed or whatever, to see if it's going to start flooding. Because I remember stories of before they really got this basement under control that it would flood two, three feet of water under there. During good heavy rains, but I put one down there just to, you know, instead of me having to open up the door and scoot down to looking around in the basement, right. put a camera down to look at where the sump pumps were. Okay. And I could see most of the basement. It's a okay. rather large basement, but I've seen so much activity down there. Really? One of the first times that I actually, I've actually still have the video, uh, I was alone one night 
and it was during I think January and it was like minus something outside and downstairs usually hovers you know just a few degrees lower than what outside is just because it's underground and uh, I got a ding on my phone I just had the one camera in the in the house at the time it was downstairs basement and I was upstairs and I was singing some sort of old uh, song my grandmother used to sing to me I can't remember what it was but I was circling around the basement door, which is in the hallway next to the bedrooms on the first floor. And uh, I got this ding on my phone to alert me that something was downstairs that they caught motion detection. So I got in my room, uh, welded my room, pulled out my phone, popped up the uh, alert. Mm -hmm. And there was these two orbs that was solid. It wasn't like a piece of fuzz or anything and it kind of danced around each other and then disappeared into the floor. Normally, like, and they set off the motion detector. They said, "On the, I still have it. I'll send it to you after the program, so yeah. you can yes. do whatever." But uh, I've seen so much stuff down there. Uh, there was one that I thought I showed my girlfriend uh, of this ball of something in the left corner of the visual field of that camera, kind of slowly move off in the distance it was rather large and i posted it a couple times and i thought she had seen it i posted it on my twitter feed and she uh, got a hold of me one night and said i've never seen that and i was like and said well i thought i showed it to you she said oh my god we're gonna have to do some stuff in that house to get that basement clear and i said all right whatever we need to do but yeah. uh yeah that's uh this old house has a rather robust history just because it had so many people visiting the old grocery store. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you what other, you know, that's just me. I've got old pictures of this place where the paved street right in front of the house was an old uh, wagon road. And this is one, the house I live in is one of the older houses in the town that I live in. Uh -huh. So. Uh, I say this old place has a lot of history I have no clue about. No clue whatsoever. Let me ask you, was it one of those grocers where the people, the owners live upstairs? You know how you would see shops where the, sh the shop was on the first floor and From the family what I, would live above? Yeah, sort of, kind of, but the, the grocery store was a two, maybe a three-story establishment. Oh. oh, it was pretty big then. Yeah, it, it was more like a feed store slash all-in-one all kind okay. of mini Walmart for the day back in 1800. Let me ask you, just out of curiosity, because I know that a lot of these grocery, they become like a trading post, but they also become, you know, like the center of where everybody gets together at, you know, where everybody like... Yeah, I, I would suspect that's what it was. I, that, that's what I was thinking, you know, besides people coming, if this was the place where, you know, people would hang out and talk and neighbors and exchange and... It's like, or the central meeting area where, uh, you know, it'd be, there's, in other words, there's more than just the traffic of people going to buy supplies. Oh, yeah, I'd say it was a meeting hunt for sure. The, um, it used to be uh, my next door neighbor um, that I converse with on a regular basis. He used to live upstairs oh. after the day. We've talked about, I never told him anything about what's happening in the house, but I would suspect he would be. <laughs> He'll be open to believing what I've told yeah. him, the stories I told you. But uh, this old, uh, used to be an apartment kind of deal on the second floor, and it was converted into a storage unit for, 
I think the property owner at the time rented it out to another grocer that was in the area and it grew to the point where they used that particular building before it was tore down as a storage unit kind of deal for the grocery and okay. uh, an area. But uh, I remember as a kid, it used to be the place where the bus would stop as a kid. You know, people, you know, all the kids would get in under easeways there to get out of the rain during the uh, inclement weather. Uh huh. Yeah. But since we've owned the property, my family's owned the property, that that uh, building has not stood since then. It's always been like a parking lot, concrete parking lot. And what happened? But, they uh, they demolished it and then. Yeah, I think what had happened was after the. It got to the point where the property owner that before my grandparents owned it got mm -hmm. to the point where they didn't want to put any money in it to keep it up to. Uh, county specs or town specs right and they just raised it down to the ground yeah so but uh yeah yeah but still there's 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 that that ground that land still holds that that energy oh i'd say i'd say like it's uh, well, i found several things in this house that were from prior uh uh occupants right like before uh, when my grandparents owned the house the attic, they actually had to, um, I think the pre previous owner actually sealed the attic off for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad actually had to cut a hole up into the attic, and they found an old chest of, of old stuff up there. And I remember pilfering through the thing, but uh, I don't remember anything specific about it. But this whole place has got some old, old uh, remnants from way back when, before I got it. I bet. I'm, yeah. Not bad. But you know what? What's that saying? If the walls could talk. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, ignorance is bliss. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, ignorance. I'll, I'll know it soon enough, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I yeah. Get, uh, to get back. Uh, the I'll tell one more story. Okay. Uh, the one about the NDE from heaven. Yes. Uh, I back when the first days I started. Um, just a second. I actually, I think I need to take this phone call. Yes. Uh, like, I, like I told you. Don't worry about uh, that. I will, if you want, want me to come back and tell the stories again. Yes, I've got yes, I will ones. be getting a hold of you. Do not worry, darling. I know we talked about this earlier. It's been wonderful. It's been great. You're wonderful. Great. I wish you the best of luck in everything. Uh, and uh, I'll be talking to you. Okay. All, All right. right. Well, just let me know. Hope yes. your listeners have a great day. Uh, please go to imdarkwaters.com. That's where our, uh, my repository of shows are. You can okay. hear me on Paranormal Radio app under the Dark Waters Radio channel. Yes. Plus, we are now on uprntalkradio.com, 107.7 FM out of uh, the Big Easy okay. down in Louisiana. I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the credits of the show for you also as well, Sean. Okay, sounds okay. great. Take care. Thank you. Have okay. a great day, Marlene. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Yeah, we had discussed earlier that <clears throat> he might have to take a certain phone call. And, you know, so it was, as a matter of fact, that I was like, and I'm glad that I was able to get a, a two hours worth of, of time of Sean telling stories. He's a great storyteller. And what I like about it is that he's got so many of his own personal experiences let me tell you something that 
that NDE, his own personal one, and, and that is like, you know, because I, I mean, I remember reading all those books by Dr. Moody who did back in the 90s, the book about, you know, the, the, the uh, interviews that he had. As a matter of fact, I want to say he was the one that coined that term of near-death experience. I'm not sure, but I believe he did. But anyway, he was the one, as a medical doctor, uh, which he kind of put his neck out in the line, I imagine, because that went and started interviewing people that had come back, you know, resuscitated, whatever the case might be. And he was the one that, you know, you heard the, the, the thing about the white tunnel of white light and the... Uh, seeing people, you know, your loved ones that have passed on and that whole review and being told you got to go back or not your time. You know, and it, it was kind of like, a, as a matter of fact, the premise of what he was saying was here he was interviewing, because remember, this is prior to there being publications about the white tunnel, the tunnel of light or whatever, was how he was getting a very similar description from all these different people who had no connection to each other all describing the same thing and that's when he compiled the book that he did but anyway the point being that after so many years of that publication a lot of people when you talk to them about near-death experience they automatically think of that tunnel with light and like a certain it's a formula it's stereotypical and then you hear his experience and, and, and by the way you know I have heard you know, of other people having like a really, very, really dark near-death experience. But those have always been the minority of them. And then you hear about what he had. So let me tell you something, that reptilian I thought, I was like, what? That's, that's, uh -huh. and, uh, and that thing that splashed down with him, that would, die, uh, God. Okay. But anyway, I mean, we could go with that in a different, a lot of different directions. But um, again, when we go into, you know, when you talk about ghosts or survival of the human soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, after the death of your body, okay, this is, I think, where you believe. Let's say if you're one of these people that's on the fence. You believe or at the very least you have to like say okay, there's got to be a possibility about this in other words you are you know let's let's go with the typical Christian belief of heaven you know the one you always hear about was you know you go to the pearly gates or you go to hell or you know or you you know you based you know based on the kind of life you had lived was whether you were taken into heaven and that was it you know or you went to the hot place it was that simple pearly gates angels and and i know that in the, the you know the other or the christian belief which is that the dead will rise the second coming of christ but prior to what dr moody did there it was very rarely that the that description of the near-death experience of people coming back, which by the way is more common because now people are more easily resuscitated from trauma that before would have killed somebody. Like there was no way that they were gonna be able to bring you back. 
now that you have so many uh, drugs, things to get your heart restarted. Uh, people now know more about CPR to keep, let's say, your your basically your heart beating until you know. Then you would say, okay, more people are having this experience. But then you start hearing about what he described, which is. Not the standard thing, but I want to say almost in a way more credible. You know, you, you do hear about like, for example, because, you know, there's there's a people that say, well, you know what? Those feelings that people that have NDEs, you can you can replicate it by stimulating certain parts of your brain. And uh, even the they, they've even done it with people saying, uh, oh, I feel presence in the room. It's because, you know, they, they've been, you know, stimulated certain parts of the brain. But. There's been people that have been able to describe conversations and seeing things in other, I mean, because, you know, you, you have the, the thing where the person says, I'm, I was floating above my body. I looked down. I saw the procedures that were being done to me by the staff, by the doctors. Uh, I overheard their conversations and people would say, well, you know what, maybe you were you know, your hearing was there. In other words, you were still alive and they were working on you, trying to bring you back, but your hearing was there in basically your remembering. And you, in, in your mind made up what it thought it looked like. But then you have the other ones that discount that because there's people that say, you know, I, I floated above my body. I looked at the doctors working on me and I was able to travel outside of that room, go to another room, sometimes even down the hallway where the family's at. And they can describe... People, what they were saying, hearing, like, okay, so how does that work? You know, you can't stimulate the brain to know about conversations or about events taking place where you're physically not at. Which later on, they checked out and they said, yeah, that, that did occur. But how do, you, how do you know that? You're basically being resuscitated in another room. But then you think about, well... This thing of what he described, which is um, something that dovetails a lot where these people that have these near-death experiences feel this um, non-judgmental kind of love, which is what he talked about as being in the presence of God. You know, in other words, there was no, even when, let's say, you're reviewing maybe whatever you did or didn't do, during your lifetime there is no judgment which by the way i think is significant because that first part which is i think was his first clue which is why he kind of got upset which is like he was getting grief about something he did as a kid it's like what and it was like it's it, very judgy and then the difference as to the uh, the other experience where there was no judgment there was no you know whatever yeah which I, I want to, you know, and a lot of people say, well, you know, because everybody thinks of, even in a lot of ancient cultures, the Egyptians, where they would say, you know, you when you would go into the afterlife, your heart would be weighed. When they said your heart, basically they were saying, what kind of person had you been? Basically on that scale was whether you could proceed into the afterlife or not. And this was a very ancient culture which predated Judeo-Christian beliefs in heaven or hell. Uh, but I want to say that 
I don't know. Maybe I'm being very um, idealistic, but I do. I, that that sounds to me like more what I would expect heaven to be, which is that non-judgmental overview, if you want to look at it, of what you've done. And by the same token, you think, okay, well, Marty, maybe you're looking at it as a person because I haven't done anything. Like, I'm not a psychopath or whatever. You know, is that the same experience? Somebody let's say that's a psychopath. When I say, I mean a murderous psychopath because you could be a psychopath and not kill people. But let's say somebody that's really, really, truly done horrible things intentionally. Uh, like I've said, people sometimes that have killed other human beings. I mean, horrible. And that sometimes never get caught. You know, they live out their lives and maybe, if at all, their crimes, no, they, they are never prosecuted, they're never identified, and they live a long life. And you think, okay, well, what kind of experiences this person have when they die? If they even have any regrets while they're alive, do they create their own hell? What happens when they do this review of what their actions were? And what became of it? What if you're one of these people that you didn't care while you were alive? You didn't even care when you're old because you know there's sometimes you hear these people do these really horrific things when they're younger and then as they age out, whether it's because of fear, or whatever. But they kind of feel bad about what they did. But what if you're one of these that it was? I enjoyed it. I did it, and I'm an old fart, and I don't care if I had a chance to do it. I'd do it again. So what if you're that kind, that that psychopathic, no remorse kind of person, and you die? And you're doing this review thing and you're looking at all these scenes and you're like, hmm, what happens to that person? Or the spirit of that person? I don't know. I I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder, I mean, does that person go into what we call hell? If you think about, if you want to believe in some type of reincarnation theory, does this person come back? Uh, into circumstances where they understand basically being at the receiving end of what they perpetrated. And you know, and it's almost like something that they acknowledge on a soul level. Because I'm thinking, you know, you always hear these theories of, if, if you, let's go with the theory of reincarnation or basically that you pick and choose the circumstances of the life that you're going to live from your parents to the setting because there's something maybe that you need to learn something you didn't catch by this I don't mean bad stuff just stuff that you didn't catch around the first time or you were like and supposedly let's say you're 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 one of these souls that did really bad things so they're like okay back go, go back get back in line I'm thinking to myself, how does this soul, because usually you think of you making a, a, a conscious choice to put yourself in these circumstances of another human being because, so you could understand that. And I'm thinking to myself, what if you're not sorry about it? Because usually you always think there's some type of contrition involved in that choice of, okay, I'm going to go back. And I'm going to live this life that will really teach me on a soul level 
what it was like maybe to be victimized or who knows, whatever. But you always think of there's some type of contrition involved in that choice. What if you're not, if you're one of these people that that's not sorry? Or let's go down that. What if you've got an attachment similar to what he described? Something like that. Oh God, that's scary. It says we're back together again or something like that. What if he had a dark attachment all along that's with you? Like, here we go again. Huh? Because, you know, there is that theory that attachments will follow you from lifetime to lifetime. What if your soul is trying to put itself in a lifetime under certain circumstances to help better itself? To basically understand what I did wrong or overcome this, whatever. But you have this attachment that's been with you, which is trying desperately to like keep you off. In other words, bettering your soul, uh, coming to an understanding, uh, making up maybe for the bad things you did. I mean, it's a real, I mean, how many times are you going to boot, go back on that loop of here we go again because you've got this attachment that wants to pull you off this track of either whether you want to call it redemption, enlightenment, uh, whatever. Because, yeah, by the way, when it comes to attachments, a lot of people think, and, and I've spoken of this before, of where they can piggyback on a soul and you can even have a piggyback on a piggyback. And a lot of people think that once the person dies, it's had an attachment you know that attachment is that's it the the bond is broken and no a lot of times the the attachment will continue on with that soul especially not all the time even if it's including it's if it's a non-human attachment it will you know not in other words death of the physical body does not sever the attachment remember this attachment is on a metaphysical plane so even though that human body that was once occupied by that original human spirit dies, the connection is still there with whatever's been with them, with like like a parasite, like a parasite. So, I mean, this this it's pretty horrific, pretty scary. But I have heard and had my own personal experiences when I was doing hypnotherapy that leads me to believe that as scary or as not wanting to believe that something like this could exist. It, I've seen uh, and read a lot of um, instances where there has to be something to that. There really truly has to be something to that. Uh, and I'm glad he pointed out something which I've talked about. That he says after I started doing certain prayers a certain way, everything's calmed down. In other words, because it sounds almost like he he, he had like a, an open-door policy where all these discarnates were coming through to him. And I think on a soul level, he's saying, this is not for me. Like, And, I, and, and I'm glad he pointed out, like, when I do these prayers, I've been doing it a certain way. That's it. Like, if you're thinking you're not welcome, it's like, get out of here. Don't even come. And I've talked about this where a lot of people that have had some type of haunting and even if they've had, whether it was clergy or a paranormal group, clear the house and everything. It's like, you got to keep this going. Even if it's cleared, you still got to keep this going because for some reason, there might be something on the property that's either a portal 
this might bring in other entities there might be somebody in the family or in the household that has is a medium and is going to be bringing in discarnates who want to communicate it could be a, a series of things uh where you do need to keep up a system of protection of prayer of of blessing your place your property it's in other words and people are like are saying well what do you mean when 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 do i stop doing this the truth is you might have to say never never and by this i don't mean every day you walk around you might it might be something you do once a month depending on what level of activity is going on in your house but for lack of a better word it's almost like uh when you spray down your lawn or you do it you know that you say i, I do this you know because i want I, I, precaution i know i got to keep doing this or if not these pests are going to come back so you do it on a regular basis and that's it it's a it's a maintenance thing well this is along the same lines this is along the same lines there's a lot of factors that can affect that uh and i want to say but there's a lot of people that say well i say my prayers that's good but i think in, in a situation like this again because of there's certain prayers that you need to say that specifically addresses what you want to call it rebuking or 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 saying i'm not allowing anything negative only light and love whatever in other words it specifically addresses keeping out unwanted discarnates good or bad and by this i mean you know because everybody thinks of the you know it could be something with an evil intention not human it could also be somebody that's deceased that was a good person but they've just lost their way and you need to keep them out and let let the other side find a way to bring them into the light okay uh you know believe sometimes these spirits, these discarnates, are blind because they, they either they don't understand or they don't want to accept the fact that they passed away. For a variety of reasons. Medication. Uh, suddenness. Or, you'll get it where some people think it's not fair. I wasn't supposed to die. It's not fair. Like, they don't want to accept that they're no longer living. And you think, man, how? And those entities, you need to, don't worry. But at some point, you know, you could pray for them, peace be with you. But at some point, don't worry. Either angels or their loved ones or somebody's going to come for them as long. And once they're ready, like that free choice thing, to go on into the light. But in other words, but you need to put up like a, a, a certain type of prayer that's specific to keeping your your area, your house, your property, your person clear and like a defense up, which is if you're wandering and you're thinking this is a pit stop, think again. Yeah, I can understand what he, I'm glad he, he, he made that distinction. But anyway, guys. I hope you like the show. I hope I'm definitely going to bring Sean back. He's a great storyteller. He has fantastic stories. We talked so much before we started recording. I was like, I need to record this, but it was so fascinating. I could be like, oh, I, I, I absolutely can see why his girlfriend and his family and everything are like, tell us more. Tell us more. Talk to us some more about the, the ghost stories. 
guys. I hope you like it. Uh, a lot of interesting guests coming on. And again, thank you for spending this time with me. You are all wonderful. Take care. Hey, Tom. I'm heading to Walmart because you know what season it is. Oh, is it pumpkin spice season? Uh, no, it's flu season. And Walmart gets flu shots. Yes, flu season is here and we've got your back with flu shots where you already shop. Our expert pharmacy team administers each flu shot and can answer your vaccine questions. Stay safe this flu season. Stop by your local Walmart pharmacy and get your flu shot today. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.